This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good Tuesday morning to you. And uh, happy All or Nothing Day. All or Nothing Day. It was it was all or nothing last night as the uh, Democratic National Committee, they put it out a show. Holy cow. Star-studded. Eva Longoria. They had all the big names. Uh, Hillary or uh, uh, Michelle Obama comes out. Kills it. Bernie Sanders. Bernard Sanders. Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. Elizabeth Warren, uh, the New Jersey senator. That uh, basically seemed like a Reverend Booker. Yeah, Booker. Booker. Anyway, interesting show last night, and today we will talk about uh, you know our view of the convention, the Democratic it, convention. It was kind of fun to talk of fighting big banks while they're standing in the Wells Fargo Center. Right. Kind of fun that way. Right. Uh, Paul Simon saying. <laughs> off key. A little off key. Interesting. But, but isn't that kind of his... I don't know. You don't know? He, he seemed a little off, but I love him, so that's... That's cool either way. You'll just dismiss Just the... the mere fact that he's standing there. He could stand there and breathe into a microphone, and I'd love it. Mm. Keep breathing. <sighs> <laughs> uh, anyway, interesting show. Completely different than the Republican convention. Like, the, the Democrats seem to be the party you want to go to. Like, not, not, the, not the political party, but yeah. that was a more fun party. It was. There was infighting. 61 speakers. You had both. Uh, you had the Bernie Bernie versus the Hillary supporters in the room. Oh, people crying. People heckling. It was great. People booing the prayer. Yeah. Those <laughs> irreverent people that were booing the prayer. But it's um, it's just such an interesting it's such an interesting contrast mm-hmm. to the Republicans. And you know, again, one of the greatest speeches they're saying Michelle Obama's speech will go down in history. In the pantheon, it will be placed in the pantheon of greatest speeches ever given. I heard someone say this morning it's the first time a sitting first lady has been uh, quoted and mentioned in both president or both yeah. uh, camp, <laughs> both uh, conventions. That's true. One by plagiarism and one. By but herself. I have a feeling it's um, it, it doesn't really great speeches still don't equate to people loving Hillary. Nope. And say you know, and really ugly speeches don't equate to people loving Trump, yeah. even though Trump's marks went up. He's up five points, is he? Yeah, he he doesn't wow. look at that poll. He looks at the poll that has him up ten points. Yeah, he likes the ten point. He poll. likes that one better. Well, who doesn't like? It's the a tremendous poll. poll. Come on. Anyway, we'll be getting to that in a few moments. Also, we're going to have a wonderful guest that's going to come uh, and talk to us about this movement. Is kind of the anti, they're calling it the illiberal, anti liberal movement, but our head is so weirdly skewed around what liberal means. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the, there's a movement going on around the world which is away from the liberal views of open society, globalism, um, open markets, and, and, and like LGBTQ support. Many countries are moving away from that to be to clamping down to a more conservative nationalistic approach to the world, shutting down their markets a bit. 
is and we're going to talk about that. Is that happening? Is Donald Trump a, an example of that happening in the United States? Was Brexit an example of that happening in Europe? We'll be getting to it. It's happening in Russia. It's happening in China and in India, all over Europe now. Germany's has uh, movements going on, all these things going on. Uh, ISIS itself is an example of it. But we'll be talking about uh, kind of the clampdown on the liberal movement of the world. Anyway, interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll talk about that. But first, let's get to the headlines and uh, talk to and hear from Sadie Nielsen, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? Lots of interesting things going around the world today. Uh, first of all, in the United States, multiple Bernie Sanders supporters have been reportedly arrested uh, outside the Wells Fargo Center, where Democratic National Committee hosted the first day of its convention on Monday. Anti-Hillary protesters chanted, lock her up, and booed Bernie Sanders when he encouraged supporters to vote for Clinton. In a text message to supporters, the Sanders campaign asked DNC attendees to refrain from protesting on the convention floor. The Democratic National Committee has apologized for a series of emails that showed bias against Senator Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign. On behalf of everyone at the DNC, we want to offer a deep and sincere apology to Senator Sanders, his supporters, and the entire Democratic Party for the inexcusable remarks made over email, the party wrote in a Monday afternoon statement. The emails, which were published by WikiLeaks, revealed that DNC staffers considered attacking Sanders' religion. Following the leak, DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz has announced that she will resign after the Democratic National Convention. At a Monday night rally, Republican presidential nominee Donald Trump remained firm on his controversial NATO comments last week, saying that the U.S. should give member nations an ultimatum. I want them to pay, he told the crowd. They don't want to pay us where they should be paying. We lose on everything. He added, we have to walk. And finally... A new dating service called PokéDates will soon be launching (laughs) to help Pokemon-obsessed players find their significant other. To sign up, users answer questions about their dating preferences, interests, deal breakers, and other pieces of information unrelated to the Pokemon world. When it comes time to decide which kind of date to go on, users can select the PokéDates option (laughs) to be set up on a date at a Pokemon gym or Pokemon stop in their area. Oh, please. It's true. Ah, Sadie. Thank you. Thanks for the headlines. A PokéDate... I thought in my day, a pokey date was a really slow date. How'd your date go? It was kind of pokey. A little slow pokey. So you're going to go, is, when you get a pokey date, is it a real date or is it just an, an illusion of some date at some park? It doesn't really make it clear on the website. Yeah. I have a feeling you're just going to get there and there's going to be some Pikachu. Not real. At some point, they're they're saying they'll expand that software so you can actually challenge people to. I know that's going to get contests, and at that point, you could technically date it's just a meetup service. Yeah, where you challenge for some sort of conflict just and maybe remember, sparks fly. But remember, you're married. Yeah, you're not into pokey dating. Holy cow! Uh, just when you thought it couldn't get crazier than the Republican convention, hmm. the Democratic convention has Julian Assange from WikiLeaks drops 20,000 emails a week ago or so, wasn't it? And now they're just getting to them. Well, they had to... Everyone's reading them now. They had to start searching them. You can go to the WikiLeaks website, put in whatever keywords you want and try to find information, but it's not like a database where they say, go here, check this out. You have to actually search it. So it took a while to find some things, but they found evidence that the Democratic National Committee was... Doing things to kind of give Hillary Clinton the advantage. So many would argue Sanders didn't lose because of these emails, but they sure made it more difficult. Like every every major city that he went into or state he went into, he had to fight against the local Democratic Party 
to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. He couldn't even get basic, you know, he, the information for how to run his campaign in those states. So it was it was the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, against Bernie Sanders, which Sanders' team had been complaining about for months. So that's kind of what complicated some of this. But apparently, and and now everybody, then the big issue was well, now Russia's behind it. So Russia and that is comes colluding. from a couple uh, a couple months ago, the Democratic National Committee said that they felt like their systems had been compromised. Yeah, they brought in some outside help. They looked and found that there was some elements that led to Russia. Some right. indicators that led to uh, someone in Russia that was in their computer system. So that's what they kind of feel happened. This is well, and the dilemma is then then the the Fed, Russia Russia's laughing it off. Right, they are. Ugh. Then the feds got into it, and the feds said, "Well, hold on, we told you about this a long time ago. Yeah, a year ago. Mm-hmm. So." Did you not take the right measures? But then, if you remember the the Trump uh, opposition research yeah. from the Democrats right. was, that was, was leaked, right. yeah, and that was part of all this. So I th- I went and watched Julian Julian Assange. There you go. Who is who is in the Bolivian um, embassy somewhere? No, the Ecuadorian embassy. Isn't he in London? In London, yeah. And he can't and leave. He's, he's been there for he'll a be arrested years. and extradited <laughs> to the United States. Yeah. But here's the crazy thing. He said um, – so everybody thinks it's, it's a Russian because of this one NSA person is saying that, except the reality is the dates of what they're releasing are all after that person's contact had already been cited. Or so the so dates don't line up. They don't line saying. up. Yeah. But more importantly, Assange says, oh, there's more. We have more coming. So There's always more. it's interesting. So the 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 uh, Democrats are saying the Russians are backing um, are backing the Republicans yeah. basically, but really it's this Assange is saying he's he's got dirt on Clinton that will get her in even more trouble, <laughs> and it's coming, which is like all of a sudden you're thinking, but but Assange can't leave an embassy. Yeah. And one of his big uh, nemesis, I guess, is Hillary Clinton. She's been behind a lot of the 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 uh, efforts to keep him where he is, and so she picked a fight with a really kind of hard dude. She did, who has mm. access to a lot of lot of information. information. Anyway, so that set up the day for the entire convention. And what a party it was. Obviously, the funny thing that we're seeing, though, is that the Democrats are no more united than the Republicans were. No. Everyone was everyone talked about how not they, they might be even more right fractured. But it's also interesting to see what a game this all is to pretend like you're united. Even Bernie Sanders was pleading with his people. Do not boo. Don't boo. I don't care if you clap for her, but don't boo her. Booing her is not good, and we've got to seem united. So a lot of this is about pretending to be united. They're making TV. They're they're making TV. And, you know, if if you want to fix it all, um, there's one way to fix it all. Okay? You have your vice presidential candidate get up to the platform and do this. Okay, let's see. I'm going to play something and see if you guys notice. Okay? See if you notice. This is Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's vice president-elect. He's pretty dang good. Yeah. See, that's what you do. 
to unify the party, you pull out the old hand. The harmonica. The hand, uh, the hand monica, and you just play it out. It was good. That's really cool. I was like, wow, look, talent. Look at that. Once again, the and hip party. That's the hip party. <laughs> Republicans with their harmonica? No, no, the Democrats with the harmonica. Tim Kaine. The Republicans, so what, what the would Republicans they pull out? Do? They would just pull out, I don't know that they'd have anything to pull out. Okay. Bill Clinton would pull out a sax. He would. Tim Kaine, his harmonica. There you go. Trump probably has a kazoo. Yeah. Could. It'd probably be a kazoo. It's, it's just the cooler party. I don't care what you say. They're cooler. They're the cool people in school. <laughs> They're like the ones that are like, dude, Relax. Don't worry about it. They have Sarah Silverman talking last night with uh, Senator for Al Franken, and it turned into an SNL skit, basically. Tried to. Tried to. And uh, in the end, as they were buying time, Sarah Silverman, the comedian, basically called out the Bernie supporters and said this. The Bernie, can I just say, to the Bernie or bust people, you're being ridiculous. to be a part of Bernie's movement and a vital part of that movement is making absolutely sure that Hillary Clinton is our next president of the United States. Booyah, Baba Booey. Signing off with Booyah, Baba Booey. Yes. Again, is that not the hippest thing in the world? It, I laughed. I thought it was kind of funny. The Republicans just keep saying, God bless America. Lock her up. God bless the president of the United States and lock <laughs> her up. It's just it, – I'm telling you, the DNC, they just are – they're cool. They're way hip. Deborah Wasserman Schultz, though, um, she had a hard day because she was the one that she eventually, as the chair, eventually s- stepped down as chair, had to, had, to, had to run away from Philadelphia. And here's kind of where it all started. This is where Debbie was booed. These were the Democrats from Florida. Yes, this was a delegate. People. It was a delegate breakfast. Mm-hmm. It was her her people. The, the she's from Florida. Yeah, she's they, got a tough race to run. Now, granted, they feel other people got into the room that weren't from Florida. Sure. The media was there. It was sure. kind of a mess, but uh, but she was booed. And and she it was then, her first time to speak about anything since all this came out. All the the emails and and her tilting the scales in Hillary's favor against Bernie. And, yeah, yeah, it was. It was crazy. And then a light almost sent from heaven. Really? Uh, came and, and took over. And really, I think they say took over the night. What Barack and I think about every day as we try to guide and protect our girls through the challenges of this unusual life in the spotlight. How we urge them to ignore those who question their father's citizenship or faith. How we insist that the hateful language they hear from public figures on TV does not represent the true spirit of this country. How we explain 
that when someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, our motto is, when they go low, we go high. <laughs> and make no mistake about it, this November, when we go to the polls, that is what we're deciding. Not Democrat or Republican, not left or right. No, in this election and every election is about who will have the power to shape our children for the next four or eight years of their lives. Don't let anyone ever tell you that this country isn't great. That somehow we need to make it great again. Because this right now is the greatest country on earth. There you have it. There's the divide. Again, not a lot of mentioning of Hillary per se, but that was like such a great speech, very motivational. She she made a comment that she still wakes up every morning in a home that was built by slaves. Yeah. I mean, so don't think this country isn't great. It's incredibly great. The issue is now, I mean, who's there's a certain part of the country that have probably felt like they've lost their power, they've lost their income, they've lost their money, their jobs have been shipped out. And so far, I think the Democrats put on a great show and everybody's super positive, not necessarily super pro-Hillary, but super pro, we got to do something here. Mm-hmm. And Hillary's the only answer we got. But they, there's somebody still going to have to answer to the pain that uh, the rest of the country are feeling. But it's it's interesting. It's such a weird thing. And I guess that's really a perfect segue into our first guest today. We're going to be uh, speaking with somebody about this movement, kind of this national movement, nationalism. There's a lot of different names for it, um, where kind of the anti-liberal Western movement, where we've been we've been pushing for globalism, open markets, democracy everywhere spreading the joy around the world, but now countries are starting to shut the doors and protect their own. Is Trump a part of that movement? Um, You know, the loss of uh, the global movement and more like, let's just bring it home and protect home. We'll be talking with an expert on that. It is spreading around the country, and uh, he'll give us his insight on that. Stick with us, folks, helping you see the good in the world, hopefully understand what's going on politically as well. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. humans share miracles on the Kim Power Stilson Show. Weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, um, back in June, the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union. In the United States, Donald Trump has found a following embracing conservative ideas and perusing a nationalistic agenda. What do these political events have in common, and how far can these political movements go? Here to tell us more is Dr. Charles Hankla. He's an associate professor of political science at Georgia State University and the author of an article in theconversation.com entitled Intolerance on the March. Do Brexit and Trump point to global rejection of liberal ideals. Uh, let's go right to uh, Dr. Charles Hankla. Welcome, and thank you for being on the show today. Well, thank you for, for having me. It's a real pleasure. You bet. I uh, loved 
the article. I, there's something going on, and and I think you may have uh, have you know put your finger on it at least in a general way. You wrote an article about um, intolerance on the march. We saw the we saw the Brexit move from the United Kingdom. We've seen now even other movements in, in other places, uh, I guess, even as we get deeper into our discussion today, Russia is kind of closing down its doors, getting rid of, you know, that open markets, open globalism policy philosophy. Talk to us about what you see happening and, and, and maybe maybe just kind of define for us up front the idea of, of liberal ideas uh, and, and what's happening to them around the country, around the world. Okay, sure. Well, you know, the, the, the article that I wrote was kind of an effort to try to understand what I think many of us are sensing, which is, you know, a feeling that, that things are changing around the world in a direction um, moving away from liberal ideas. I'll talk about what I mean by that in a second, that, that things seem to be falling apart in some sense. And so obviously we can't know exactly what the causes are right now. Historians will We'll debate how important this, these developments are in the future and what caused them. But it's kind of an effort to try to start to think about whether what we read in the newspaper today um, is interconnected. And so by liberal ideas, I mean not, you know, the way that we use liberalism in American politics. Um, you know, liberalism is one of those terms that can mean so many different things. Right. Um, but what I mean is, is kind of the classical term that dates back to the Enlightenment um, thinkers. And so basically liberalism, you know, it has both economic and political and social components, but it, in general, it focuses on the value of the individual. Um, so by liberal ideas, I mean the ideas of individual value, human rights, um, tolerance of others and tolerance of difference. Um, and on the, in the economic sphere, the idea that the economy should be structured around you know, not the benefit of the nation state or the group or the class, um, but the benefit of the individual. So typically, you know, liberal ideas include both internationalism, free trade, and so forth. So they're all kind of wrapped up into this idea that um, the individual matters. In contrast to ideas further on the right, which would emphasize, you know, the, the uh, importance of, of nation uh, or further on the left, which might emphasize the importance of of class. Um, instead, liberal ideas are about the importance of the of the individual person. And I mean, this makes sense, even though politically the words kind of mess us up. But you know, as a country, we seemingly have been pushing democratization around the world and right. trying to create more and more democracies, which which would seem very liberal to a conservative country in the Middle East that doesn't want it to be all about individualism and human rights per se and free markets and free economies. Um, so, so that's really what you're talking about is for, for years that was being proliferated, but now there's kind of a movement of, of, you know, out in the world to shut that down. Well, it seems like – it does seem like there's a bit of a backlash. And, and of course, we have, to, we have to be a little bit careful because, you know, there's – the world is a complex place, and there are a lot of different trends that matter in different regions. Um, but if you know, if we look at you know taking the U.S. Um, and and the Trump phenomenon, and also you know looking at at Britain and Brexit, it seems like uh, in both countries, perhaps 
triggered primarily by the Great Recession. Um, there's a sense among a lot of people, particularly uh, native-born people um, who might be you know, working class or lower middle class, um, that they've been failed by elites, hmm. um, that um, the economy is not working for them, that they're losing control of their country, um, either you know, to um, you know, elites on Wall Street or in the city of London or, or wherever, or to immigrants. Um, you know, those ideas may not seem logically compatible, but I think they're all kind of flowing, flowing around and creating kind of a revolt um, that we're seeing in both of those phenomena. Hmm. In fact, I think, yeah, you can, you can hear it in, uh, for example, Trump's rhetoric. You hear, you know, we got to close the borders. We need to get rid of the trade agreements that are unfairly, you know, hindering the Americans and quit shop, sh- shipping our, our jobs uh, to other countries. It's this closing down idea. I mean, and I think it creates a really interesting um, phenomenon that we saw even last night of uh, this celebration of, of you know, kind of, I guess, what you were even calling or what the Enlightenment thinkers were calling individual values, human rights, free-ish markets, um, acceptance of others, globalization. I guess – is this you see it? We see it, I guess, more in the United States. Again, the cause you're you're attributing it to. Um, I guess the only thing we can think of is the recession and what else? ISIS. I mean, the, I mean, even ISIS itself is is more of a backlash against liberalism, right? Right. Well, I mean, outside, I think in the United States and Britain and in the developed world in general, the Great Recession is a big cause. And I also think we're seeing kind of a backlash against um, um, advancement of liberal ideas that we've seen in the last couple of decades, including um, um, gay rights and, and um, you know, the, the, in general, the culture wars and so forth, that there's kind of a, a backlash against um, those changes, you know, more open borders and so forth. Um, so I think that, though, that, that the phenomenon of the economic um, recession um, combined with kind of a sense among uh, many people, native-born people, um, that um, sort of conservative traditional values are not being uh, respected by elites and that, and that their interests are being ignored, which is creating kind of this backlash. Um, but I do think it's interconnected to the, the much bigger um, illiberal movements that we're seeing outside in parts of the developing world. Um, and and I, I would hesitate to say that it's all part of the same phenomenon because I think that the world is too complex yeah. for that. But there is some interconnection. Uh, in particular, you know, the rise of the far right in Europe, and we see it not just with Brexit, but we see it very clearly in France with the National Front, you know, in Hungary with the Jobbik movement, which has its own kind of quasi-military militia thing. You know, it's a little frightening to watch. Mm. Um, you know, the... the um, the, the Freedom Party in Austria and so forth, a lot of that is a response to the pickup of immigration that's coming out of um, out of the the war in Syria uh, and also the war in uh, in Libya and other places. And of course, those wars and those conflicts um, arose from what seemed to be a triumph of liberal ideas, the Arab Spring in 2010 and 11, which has since, outside of Tunisia at least, collapsed in on itself. Uh, and now we're seeing um, a very negative residue of that in, in conflict 
and in um, huge refugee flows, which I think are contributing to, you know, anti-immigration far-right views in Europe, and also um, perhaps to crackdowns and um, and um, movements, you know, to the crackdown and to the consolidation of authority that we're seeing in Turkey with Erdogan, hmm. because you know there's there's um, I think more than two million Syrian refugees in Turkey now. Um, as well, and so that's also affecting the stability of the of the polity in Turkey. Yeah, it's so it's really in some form it's it's in a lot of different places, and probably caused by um, a, a, a lot of different even regional events as well. Of course, yes, certainly, certainly. And, um, and is is it? Um, and again, we, we I want to distinguish between kind of the 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 liberaliz, the liberalism that you're talking about. Um, versus the the liberal definition we give of our our parties here in the United States because right, yeah, even absolutely. republican ideas of you know free markets historically that was also seen as a very liberal idea in the world that's that's right yeah i mean traditionally um you know the us was founded on these liberal enlightenment ideas and both parties um although they might not have used those terms would have been identified as liberal and kind of the cl- broad classical sense. Right. Um, and, you know, I think that certainly that, you know, the Democrats might have focused more on um, the social and political elements of liberalism and, and the Republicans more on the economic elements um, of liberalism. But we're seeing in the Trump phenomenon something, you know, more populist that there you're combining um, sort of more um, conservative ideas about about society um, you know, the rights of, 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 of gays, um, maybe also the role of women, though that's more implicit, um, with a more um, mercantilist, if you will, idea of the economy that we should, you know, that we should focus on not on individual um, benefits of the economy, but on kind of the nation. And we should see ourselves as opposed to China our interests as opposed to other countries, rather than trade being something that, you know, raises all boats. You know, the idea is that, um, you know, it's a zero-sum game, that we're fighting almost a, an economic conflict hmm. um, with other countries. And those those ideas are also very much present in the Democratic Party, as we saw right. last night with right. all the all the opponents of TPP. Yeah. Um, so, In fact, the and they, they even front, there was a statement somewhere, we are not a zero-sum organization or not a zero sum party um it, it, it's it's right. really an interesting dynamic and it seems like if the world is rejecting the liberalism um the liberal ideas that the west were founded upon and have been you know propagating around the world then aren't they in reality rejecting the west huh that's an it's an interesting question um you know, I think there's always been kind of a, a tense relationship um, outside uh, the West, sort of a, a a love-hate relationship with some of these Western um, ideas. And you can kind of see since decolonization, um, you know, and since the rise of all these all the independent countries that we have today, mostly since the end of World War II, um, this kind of love-hate relationship. You know, I think about India um, as an example that I'm I'm more. Uh, familiar with, and I think an interesting one, you know, 
in, in India, you had, uh, when it became independent in 1947, there was a desire to be free, to be separate um, from um, British domination. But at the same time, liberal ideas were really powerful in the founders, like Nehru. You know, they, they wanted to have, um, you know, industrialization. They wanted to have civil liberties. They wanted to get rid of the caste system. Um, and this, this, kind of, um, this kind of desire to separate and be independent from the West, but also to incorporate some of these ideas has been very powerful yeah. um, across the developing world. But there's also, there's also an element that says, well, you know, we need, to be, we need to be truer to our history and our culture and um, not to be influenced you know, intellectually by some of these ideas. And so now in, in, in India, you have um, the rise of Hindu nationalism. That, that's been there for decades, but um, it seems to be kind of at, a, at an apex in terms of its influence uh, with the Modi government. Mm. And so, you know, I, 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 I think I think Indian democracy is is a permanent thing. It's yeah. very stable, but at the same time, we're seeing um, you know a, a situation where the government is saying, "Hey, this is a Hindu country, um, and everybody needs to accept it and see it that way." And that's kind of an illiberal idea, if you will. Yeah, because well, it's saying it's, this is our identity. It's it's uh, it's apparently we're seeing it more and more all over the country, all over the world. We'll take a break. More with Dr. Charles Hanklin in a minute, folks. We're talking about uh, the liberal movement. Has it run its course? And is it on its way back to a more conservative shutdown of countries? Let's hope not. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Townsend Show. We are talking today with uh, Dr. Charles R. Hankla, who is an associate professor of political science at Georgia State University in Atlanta. Dr. Hankla's research is in the fields of comparative and international political economy, and he has a particular interest in political institutions as they relate to fiscal decentralization, budgeting, trade policy, and industrial policy. We uh, are commenting about an article he wrote, Intolerance on the March. Do Brexit and Trump point to global rejection of liberal ideals? And uh, Dr. Hanka, we welcome you and thank you again for being with us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. So what do we, what do, we do with this? Um, if, I mean, you gave a really great example of what's going on in India. And, I mean, like fighting about a class system, class system or a caste system um, is – it's so, it's so germane to India. It's, it, but but it shows that this fight is is it's I guess it's always taking place on a very personal level for each country. But we see a, a rejection of the global liberal ideals. I guess with China, it rejects them to some degree. Uh, Russia. Um, um, India, but more with Brexit now. We see Trump's got a huge movement locally with a lot of people that feel disenfranchised. How, what, what happens? Do we, how do you turn this tide? And do you, do you want to turn the tide? It seems like a lot, because if we're also cutting down on individual rights and human rights, um, and if we're becoming more and more intolerant, uh, then, then this could be a slide that could be a, a major issue in the future. 
Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't pretend to have the answers. I think, I think, you know, if you step back, what what we see is we have this period of the Cold War um, emerging out of World War II, where you know you have the the allies of the United States and and the allies of the Soviet Union, and in in the Western world and and its allies, you have the U.S. creating a liberal system. You know, the U.S. is hegemonic; it's dominant. And it's creating a liberal system. Obviously, we can point to, you know, illiberal things in U.S. foreign policy, you know, all the interventions that we're familiar with and so forth. But in general, U.S. policy was to create, a, you know, free trade, you know, a, a stable international financial system to encourage democracy and so forth. And it seemed like after the collapse of the Soviet zone, you know, we had all this talk about the end of history and so forth, if, if you recall mm-hmm. that from the... From the early 90s, and it seemed like the U.S. was, uh, and the and the liberal ideas that the U.S. embodied were triumphant. There wasn't any alternative to liberal democracy. There wasn't any alternative to capitalism. Um, and I think what we're seeing now is that history, in fact, hasn't ended. <laughs> um, instead, um, the U- U.S. ideas, while we don't have another superpower, American ideas um, and Western ideas around liberalism are being challenged, uh, most particularly by China. Um, which is an attractive model for a lot of countries because it's a country that has re- recently, that is still in a, in a sense developing, but which has succeeded in growing at eight and nine percent rates for the last thirty years, um, and has been very economically successful while while remaining authoritarian. Um, and so that kind of challenges this idea that liberalism is necessary for economic growth and for prosper- prosperity. You know, Putin, the Putin regime in Russia has challenged that. We had the 90s, you know, the wild 90s under Yeltsin, and Putin kind of put all that back in the box, and Russia has prospered economically. I think, you know, part of that, huge part of that is their natural resources, so Mm -hmm. I don't really attribute that to Putin's wonderful economic policies. But nevertheless, you know, the, the Western ideas now, which seemed triumphant in the 90s, are being challenged by China and also by Russia. Um, And they've also been challenged um, in a more radical way by uh, Islamism, Islamist fundamentalism. Right. You know, after the September 11th attacks, and now with ISIS, um, you know, it's a challenge not from the economic frontier, but from a more radical frontier that says, you know, these ideas are corrupt. They're they're contrary to the will of God. Um, And so basically we're seeing all of these kind of challenges to um, America and its ideals, which seemed dominant in the 90s after the Cold War collapsed, but which we now see, you know, are, are under threat. And so the question is, I think, you know, what are we going to do about it? Um, <laughs> yeah. In fact, it's it's interesting that you, with the DNC email scandal that was obviously backed in air quotes, by the Russians. I mean, all of a sudden you start thinking, wow, it would actually make sense. Uh, Russia pushes back, tries to get America to, you know, give up some of their liberal ideals or or at least the spread of them. Islamist uh, and ISIS, they're they're trying to stop the spread of these liberal ideas. In in, in a weird way, if everybody turns kind of nationalistic and shuts the doors and you know, um, and shutters everything up, uh, then then ISIS has one. Right. I mean, you know, one of the lessons of um, of World War II, and uh, you know, was that 
was the risks of closing down the world economy and closing down the world political system and and not being open. And so I think, you know, this the experiences of that propelled the U.S. towards um, promoting an open international system, despite you know all of the kind of nasty elements of U.S. foreign policy that we can all identify. I think the broad thrust was, you know, to support a, a broad open system. And so, you know, the question is, without the U.S., you know, if, if the U.S. Is, is going to kind of turn away from that, and that's part of, of Trump's foreign policy, um, but it's also, I think, been um, a, a broader tendency uh, as people have looked at the huge costs that um, Iraq and Afghanistan have 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 put on the on the United States, both in terms of you know loss of life, especially, and also in terms of cost, financial cost. Um, I think that you know there's a broad tendency right now to say, well, let other people figure it out. Yeah, you know, and um, pay for it, and pay for it. You know, Trump has has said, you know, um, I'm not sure I would defend the Baltic states. Right. Um, you know, and, and I'm not sure I would back the NATO allies unless they put more into it. And so this is a a sense of the U.S. kind of hunkering down and saying, hey, we're going to put ourselves first. And and the risky thing, the risky thing there is, and, and I'm not an advocate of being involved in conflicts all over the world or anything, but the risky thing of a of a of a hunkering down, less internationalist foreign policy for the U.S. is that there really isn't a replacement. Um, there really isn't another country that shares similar ideas mm. and values that has the wherewithal um, to support an open international system. Right. So um, it really, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it really is, as Michelle Obama said, it's up to us. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and we're in a tougher situation now than we were because our relative power has declined. I mean, right. the U.S. hasn't declined in an absolute sense. But as China has gotten stronger um, and as chaos has broken out in the Middle East and as Russia has started to uh, recover, although they're in trouble right now with the sanctions, but nevertheless, you know, the, and, and as the U.S. has had its own problems, we're in a, you know, there's a lot of pressures um, to look after ourselves first. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the risk, of course, of doing that is that it may be too late once we start looking out globally again. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. And you may not be able to catch it back up. Uh, well, we appreciate you, Dr. Charles R. Hankla. Again, thank you so much for your insight into what's uh, what's maybe behind the scenes here. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Keep up the great work. Again, Dr. Charles Hankla is an associate professor of political science at Georgia State University and uh, keeping us informed, folks. Um, democracy, It's uh, this may be recoiling. If we're not careful... We may, we may lose everything that we've created and, and maybe not be able to recover it. So does that mean Trump should just give up? Does that mean we have to keep paying for everything? It might mean we, not, we need to get creative again, folks, and uh, start using our minds, our heads. Stick with us. We'll continue this discussion in just a minute. We'll come back to a little Coach's Corner. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Hey, friends. um, You know, again, you sit and you watch the Democratic Convention, and as I was watching it, I'm thinking, oh, do I fit in here? I asked the same question 
about the Republican convention. Where do I fit? And um, it sure looks like the Democrats have a lot of fun and incredible speakers, way entertaining, a lot more entertaining, a lot more diverse. But uh, there was a really good point made last night on CNN by Van Jones. Um, Van uh, was always in my mind. I always thought of him as this incredibly liberal man, all the blah, blah, blah. But here's the deal. He made a great point that said. We're having a great party here, incredible diversity. 61 or so speakers spoke at the Republic or at the Democratic Convention last night. 61 speakers, uh, 61 speeches on day one. Interestingly, um, PolitiFact brought up an interesting point that not once was terrorism mentioned on day one. ISIS was not mentioned once out of the 61 speeches. Which, when you think of the scary, horrible, terrifying de- uh, Republican Party convention, boy, that's all you heard, right? And so what I'm convinced of is it's all a bunch of rhetoric. And every side is doing what they can. The The Democrats are creating this sense of peace. They use the word love a lot. We, love conquers all. Love trumps. Hate is their great quote. Um and love's going to conquer it all. And then the Republicans are like, hold it. You're going to get killed. You're going to be terrorized. The borders, the people from crossing the border are committing crimes, blah, scare, scare, scare. But in reality, it sounds like when it comes to America sharing our liberal, what are perceived as liberal by most of the other world ideals of um, – Ideas like individual values, the value of a one person, human rights, that you have the right to certain things, inalienable rights, right? Free markets, internationalism, tolerance of differences. All of these things um, become – those are our liberal ideals and they're starting to be rejected. The things that both the Democrats hold and the Republicans hold, sacred, that we were spreading throughout the world are now being rejected more and more by countries. We even have Mormon missionaries in Russia who are now not allowed to proselyte. They can't go talk about their church. They have to just be there as volunteers. And they can only talk about their church in their church. So these rights that we hold dear are starting to be taken away because we sit at home and we have a a, a party or two parties that can't figure out how to do something. And we have a ton of rhetoric, and I'm sadly believing not enough action. So that's what this election is about now, is somebody's got to take action. And the reality is it's going to be polarized no matter what we do, apparently. We got to get on this, folks, or we're going to lose our power globally. Both sides, what we both hold dear. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world, and you're part of that good. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Tuesday to you. And day two of the DNC Democratic National Convention party is on. 
We've got uh, a lot to talk about with the convention. We'll be talking about today's lineup. It is interesting with all the talks of riots in the streets of Cleveland, and they're not going to be able to contain the the amount of people that are protesting Donald Trump, and then really nothing happened. Yeah. But the first day yesterday was quite eventful out in the streets of Philadelphia. It seems like there was probably more protesting going on inside. Both, inside yeah. and outside, were protests for Bernie Sanders, for that movement. They feel uh, wronged, and so they're they're being very vocal. And again, every both of these conventions, everyone's trying to pretend like we're all united. So much, I honestly think so much of this is driven by the media. Mm-hmm. It's all... There's this expectation that you have to be a united front when in reality you're going to still have two divided parties, but it's going to be who can who can move their people the best. Right. And it doesn't mean they're united to be moved. Again, I think the Republicans showed that they're not pro-Trump. They're anti-Hillary. Mm-hmm. And I think we might even be seeing similar things. Everybody mentioned Hillary, of course, in their speeches, but it still seems like – this is more about do you want to save America or do you want to leave it hanging out on the vine? Right. Um, we, we'll be talking about that in a few moments. Also give you a little rundown of what's going to be uh, going on for the Democratic Nation- National Convention today. Some uh, Just a little – we'll take you on a tour. Also um, coming up, uh, we'll be talking with Christina Curtis about an article um, she wrote, Teach Your Team to Expect Success. It's just some team building skills. So if you run a team, maybe just a family, if you're running a, a Democratic National Convention, if you're Donna Brazil and at the last minute you were just handed the entire convention and because, it's yours. <laughs> because Deborah Wasserman Schultz had to back out, then you're going to want to listen to this because we're going to teach you how to help your team expect success. We'll be getting to that in a few minutes. But first, let's get to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie? Lots going around right now. Um, evidence is mounting that the two Russian intelligence agencies behind the hacks at the White House and the State Department last year are also responsible for the release of 20,000 stolen Democratic National Committee emails last week. The FBI will be investigating the breach, and researchers say there's evidence the documents were accessed by computers with Russian language settings. Experts believe the two Russian ag- agencies may have been working separately without knowledge of each other. More than one million women in Latin America could contract the Zika virus while pregnant, a new study by researchers at the University of Notre Dame and the University of Southampton finds. If the mosquito-borne epidemic continues to grow consistently for another two to three years, the research teams predict as many as 1.65 million women will contract the disease while pregnant. Investigators determined former Denver Broncos quarterback Peyton Manning did not use human growth hormone or or any other banned performance-enhancing drugs, the NFL announced on Monday. The league's probe followed a report that concluded Manning took performance-enhancing drugs in 2011. Manning retired from professional football earlier this year. Uh, Michael Jordan has donated $1 million to two organizations he believes will help build trust between civilians and law enforcement, including the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the Institute for Community Police Relations. I have been deeply troubled by the deaths of African-Americans at the hands of law enforcement and angered by the cowardly and hateful targeting and killing of police officers, Jordan wrote in a letter on the website, The Undefeated. And finally, two-time Masters champion Bubba Watson plans to take to the skies with the first ever golf cart jetpack. The jetpack uh-huh, allows golfers to get an eagle eye view of the course and take their game to the next level. No more riding around with annoying guys who tell you their score. You already saw it from the sky. It's just a jetpack. The golf party's is trying to justify it. It's yeah. just a jetpack. It's just a jetpack. But 
And other news. Uh-oh. One more thing. What? It will also help firefighters in their firefighting techniques. Yeah, again, it's That's just another important. toy for the fire department. It's the jetpack. <laughs> it's still, what a scary thing to fly in a jetpack into outfielders, a fire. It'll help outfielders in baseball uh, take away home runs. Oh, that's right. That would be huge. Jetpack. You can find all kinds of uses for George it. George Jetson And when it comes back pack. to it, people just want to fly around in a jetpack. That would be a great way to go around a golf course. Get your jetpack on. The, bu- the building we're in, they could clean the windows better yeah. with a jetpack. We have windows, boy. Sky-high windows. Once they have to bring in, like, the lift, that's mm-hmm. just – that's an all-week event. But with a jetpack, that'd be a lot – probably more dangerous, but fun. A lot more fun. I have a feeling this building would be burnt down if they handed one of us a jetpack. <laughs> Thank you, Sadie. Interesting headlines, I must say. Hey, it's all-or-nothing day. The Romans understood Seize it. Seize the day. Gather ye rose, but while ye may. Hmm. Mm. Carpe diem. Mm. Seize the day. All or nothing day takes the spirit, uh, that spirit, and urges people to break through their barriers, ignore the fears that hold them back. That's how I live my life. Make that big commitment to having a better life. So how do you apply that to Pokemon Go, Terry? Ooh. How was your weekend? I bet you really takes a lot of up. effort. I only did it a couple times. So how many hundred did you pick up? I only got probably like five or six. But how do you seize the day? I caught another Pikachu. You, I, now, I now have two of them. You only really? Yeah. You only had a. You only picked up a couple. Yeah, I don't. I didn't really have opportunity. Eh, it's kind of waning. You're, the, you're getting the, bored, the, aren't you? My interest level. Like, oh, there's a lot of effort. Got to get out there and walk around. You're, you're not. You're tired. Some guy reported said that he got all the Pokemon in the game. He got them all? That you can, How many are there? There's about 150, 140 or wow. so. He said he walked about 150 miles or so. And he picked up every Pokemon. Now what? But he caught 4,500 Pokemon to get the 150. You know what I mean? So yeah. he caught all yeah. these duplicates. Well, that's, that's and, actually a good sign that they all exist in one place. I thought you like have to travel to he, Paris. He to caught them one. all in New York and New Jersey. Wow. Now, there's only certain ones available in the United States, and apparently it changes different regions of the world, but he caught all the ones you can in the U.S. Well, someday they'll be going to war. Apparently, a reporter um, has been called out for playing Pokemon Go during a DOD, a Department of Defense briefing. As the secretary said earlier today, though, and I think it's an important reminder, you're playing the Pokemon thing right there, aren't you? I'm just giving them a minute. It's an important reminder. We know this won't be easy. We recognize it's a challenge. Then later on. Did you get one? No. The signal is not very good. That's crazy. Sorry about that. that. The guy could be saying, yeah, we're going to war. There were 25 killed in this location. Are you playing Pokemon Go? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to keep in touch with it. Just checking on it. He says he can't get a good signal in the building. What's happening to this world? You know what we need, honestly? Some good harmonica. We more more Tim Kaine. Okay. He he could change the country. If we mm. would just bring everybody together in one meeting, the Republicans, the Democrats, put Tim Kaine out there on a little stool, let him just play the blues. We'll hug it out. <laughs> you think that's the answer? Hug it out. Fix the world's problems. Yeah. When in doubt, that's my that's my bumper sticker. When in doubt, hug it out. Oh, nice. If you don't know whether to go with Hillary or uh, Donald, just have a little Tim Kaine moment. Mm-hmm. I'll bet you 20 bucks he'll pull out his harmonica at the Democratic, at the vice president um, debate. Debate? Really? And change the world. Gets a little contentious. He just. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Yo, you, you need to, Mr. Pence. I got some Beatles for you here. Hold on. Hang on a second. 
What's going on in the convention today? So, like the Republicans, each night of the Democrat convention has yeah. a theme. Is Joni from Happy Days going to be on? No. No Happy Days associations that, that I could make here. Okay. Uh, Monday's theme last night was Unite, United Together. Hold on. Isn't that redundant? United Together. together. Yeah. That was, that was Monday. Separated apart. Tuesday's theme, A Lifetime of Fighting for Children and Families. So, so tonight is all about children and families. Yes. Good. We like that. Okay. What about tomorrow night? Tomorrow on Wednesday is working together. Okay, so that'll be economy, working, yeah. yeah. And the Thursday big... is stronger together. Stronger. I, that's when they'll bring up war, death, mayhem, black lives matter, right. police lives matter. Huh. Trayvon Martin's mother will speak tonight. Okay, family. Eric Garner's mother. Wow. He's the guy, I believe, that died in New York. Yeah. It was, uh, they used a chokehold on him and he died. I believe he, that's who that so was. So apparently children and families is also going to be about shootings. Apparently Michael Brown's mother. He was the okay. uh, Cause that, cause Oklahoma. They are, they're missing their babies. Yeah. So we're, there's going to be that. Also, who else is speaking tonight? Bill Clinton will speak tonight also. Okay. I mean, I think he's the headliner. Well, nothing says children and families more than Bill Clinton. <laughs> apparently. <laughs> wow. Tomorrow, okay. Wednesday night will be uh, President Barack Obama and Vice President Joe Biden. Hmm. Thursday night, Hillary Clinton and Chelsea Clinton. At some point, at some point, the Vice President will, or the Vice Ah, they'll throw him in there somewhere. The candidate will be tossed in with his harmonica. He should play. Sen- Senor Kane. Senor he came Kane. right out speaking Spanish, which I thought was super cool. Like Not fluent. To brag. Yeah. Even to the point where they, they say there's not really that. Anglo sort of yeah, accent. He's, no, he's got there. a great accent. I so. tried to be fluent, and I used to be till the accident. Then I, for two years, I was fluent, and now I've forgotten it all. You got to use it, you know? You got to use it or you lose it. So as you said, tonight will be an um, opportunity to – well, not you – I don't think you said it. So I heard someone talk about, well, what's Bill Clinton's reaction going to be as he's speaking about his wife and are Bernie Sanders supporters still booing every time her name is mentioned? Hmm. How is he going to react to that? Well, they're eventually going to tire out. A lot of them, did you notice, they put tape over their mouths that said silenced. Right. So, again, it's how do you win this? Elizabeth Warren uh, was speaking, and I think you could hear in the background people chanting, you lied. Uh huh. You lied, you lied. Well, you heard a lot of times chants would break out, Mm -hmm. and it didn't make sense. I mean – Black Lives Matter had was chanting at one point, but they're going to get their time. Aren't, isn't Black Lives Matter going to be speaking? I'm not sure. I thought they were going to have a speaking spot. Anyway, uh, interesting. It's again, it's it's a convention that is you designed to unite a party, but it seems like what we do is we always offend the other party while we're trying to unite our party. Yes. So tonight, if they talk a lot about guns, uh, you're going to offend all the the gun people in the country that just can't stand you wanting to take away their guns. I mean, how do you ever win this? You don't. You don't. That's why you need a harmonica. And some people feel that they're not trying to win. No. Really? That's not the point. Winning isn't the point. Stirring up emotion is the point. Stirring up emotion is the point. Getting more people elected is the point. Because if if you listen, there's not a lot of solution to whatever the problem is. There's a lot of 
finger pointing, blaming, those sort right. of things going on. Well, and the funny thing is the press, they eat up anytime you throw out an idea, but an idea isn't a solution because I could throw out a million ideas, but they're not going to get through the Congress, mm-hmm. right? So our problem isn't even ideas. It's nothing's moving. We're, it's, we're stagnant. We're, we're stagnant. We're stuck. It's like a tomato in Ben's ice cream. Uh-oh. Just stuck there. Wait, how did that relate to anything? Yeah. Frozen solid. Left field with the tomato. Hey, uh, so would you ever stay overnight at a gas station if it was a bed and breakfast? It would depend upon the accommodations. So if you ever wanted to spend the night at a gas station, look no further. By day, Sanborn and Market Gas is a convenience store, but by night, it's an Airbnb rental. Hmm. Just 50 bucks a night. You just pull in there. Can't you hear this music? The humming lights. I have the hardest time sleeping with these lights on. Wow. But you know what? There are some really cool wake-up calls. If you uh, if you want, you can set this wake-up call. <laughs> Service, please. Service, please. There's this. This is my favorite wake-up call. All right. Yeah. They're changing tires. Yeah. Changing tires. There's my another one. Yeah. The ice machine. So would you actually get sleep with the radiation from the fluorescent lights? Some really bad speaker Tran- playing transistor radio or something. Wow. I don't know. I think what's happening is they're trying to make things work that don't work. Yeah. Now if if like the cooler was stocked, right? And they had plenty of well, but like, every they'll charge you for everything you take. Yeah, make it just part of the deal. That's what I'm saying. Accommodations by night. By night, they're mini bar prices. Oh, the prices go up. Yeah, so they just want like a soda. Yeah, you can get a soda. Now that what's great, you can get a soda in your jammies. Get that some chips. If they have some spray cheese, do you just sleep on a? I think you. Th- I think you end up just sleeping on the shelf. Huh? They just empty off some of their shelves, and you just they have beds on the shelves. Okay. Well, it could be bunk beds. It could be interesting. The hard part, I think, is when you got to go to the bathroom and go carry oh. that tire connected to the key. Yeah, they make it tough. They don't want you to forget the key. And then those bathrooms are pretty nasty. It's, you know, they have to they have to step up if they're going to make you uh, you know pay for it. They got to clean it. Ugh, just remember your slippers, folks, and then throw them away when you're done. That's some gross stuff. I I, I don't think it's going to work. I I actually booked my first day at a you know what? gas station B and B. I knew you would. Yours was Seven Eleven, right? Mm-hmm. Great I, franchise. Yeah, I I was drawn by the Slurpees. Mainly. Well, yeah, and the number. You know, you can only be there from seven to eleven. Really? Yeah. Seven no at 11 night to eleven at night, or uh-huh. seven at night till eleven. Seven in the at night to eleven in the morning. Okay, that's all they're open. Okay, and then because the store is open from seven to eleven. And if you don't get out of there early enough, you're on the shelf. And somebody's going to try to buy you, which I'm going to tell you. Hey, that's happened more than once. No returns. <laughs> there will be no returns. You uh, buyer beware. Caveat emptor. Hey, we will take a break, friends. When we come back, we will be speaking um, about your team and how to help your team expect success. How to build a culture where you can expect success. We'll be speaking with a coach that works with Fortune 500 companies, Olympic athletes, about uh, 
getting their head in the game. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, become the person you want to become. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Expectations play a huge role in success. You may expect success for your business group or your family, maybe even your political party. Uh, But unless they believe it, too, you won't get very far. Here to show us how to teach your team to expect success is leadership and executive coach Christina Curtis. Christina, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you so much. Good to have you. And you also, uh, you're a blogger on um, Psychology Today. You have a blog there, Stop Dreaming and Start Doing. I do, yeah. And I also write for Harvard Business Review. I'm, uh, I love the passion of writing, and I continue to do it because it allows me to stay tapped into the research that's out there. It's been fun. That's right. You know, I love it, too, because it keeps you up to date and, and forces you to keep being creative and dancing. We, say, we call it dancing like a monkey. Hey, talk to us, Christina, about um, teams. I mean, a lot of times we think you're the leader, so people just do what you say. And we're seeing this in our political world where we have Mm -hmm. leaders that are – they somehow have reached the apex of the party, and yet they have a lot of people that don't want to follow them. Yeah, and that comes back to to vision, right? The key to setting a vision is to really start – Start the conversation as a leader uh, from where the people are standing rather than where you're standing as their leader. So what do I mean by that? I mean, what's their vantage point? Uh, What are they seeing from where they're sitting right now? Uh, Are you talking about something that's relevant and exciting to them in the moment? Um, And how do you make it exciting enough so that it really becomes this this positive flywheel that drives them forward long after you've left the room? Uh, And I I find that the miss for leaders is we, we start from where we're standing and, and don't always take the time to look from the other side of the table. Right. I mean, and that that's – I don't want it to all be about kind of the political world, but um, it's so in our face today. And I, and I look at it – you have to understand your people, right? you got to know where they're coming from. Yeah, and I think the challenge politically is there's so many different, different vantage points right. uh, that these leaders are talking to. And you got to know where you're going. So you have to have your vision, you have to know where they are, and then somehow you, you build a bridge? You build a bridge. So you can get all fired up about the finish line, but if you forget to start where they are, uh, you're going to miss the mark. So the first thing, of course, is where are they standing from? What's their vantage point? What are they seeing? And then the second thing that comes to mind is this importance of reiterating and reinforcing that vision uh, frequently. And I think that's a myth, too. People, I often work with CEOs who say, well, I, I, I've got my vision. It's here on my PowerPoint deck. I shared it three weeks ago or I shared it three years ago. And it's like, when are you sharing it again? When are you actually planting that seed in their imagination so that it grows when you're not there? Um, and that's the magic to me, right, of all this is your vision can become so much more than you ever imagined when other people are tending to it and fostering, fostering it and expanding it. And they can't do that unless you actually plug it into their imagination by repeating it and reinforcing it. And we know that from a memory standpoint. If you say something once, they're less likely to remember it. If you say it multiple times, it's more likely to take seed and actually grow. Uh, So that's the most important thing for me. When I think about visioning and I think about leadership, paint the picture from where they start. Uh, and where they're starting, and then reiterate and reinforce it frequently. So if, if I'm a father and we are we want our kids to 
you know, be leaders and we want them to excel and be successful. Um, mm. If I'm going to create that vision with them, I mean, I, it's one thing for me to say that to them, but I have to really paint the picture with them and from them and have them help me paint the vision. Right. And then and then the big thing you're saying, too, is make sure the narrative constantly is tying back to that vision. So every time we have a chance to, you know, show success, you know, or when we have a success, we tie that success back to the vision narrative. Yeah, the kid piece of it is really interesting to me. I'm a mom of two. I've got a a nine and seven year old. And being a leadership coach, you hear a lot of this stuff at home. Yeah, right. Uh, what I found, my, looking at my personality types of my children, one of them is very much a different personality type and focuses on different things than I do. And I kept talking about, I kept coming from my position, you got this, this is, you're, you're excelling, this is your area of focus. And I didn't realize where he was coming from was that mistakes were bad. And anytime he would go to school and make a mistake, in fact, just the other day, he took this test and he got 14 out of 15 and he came home crying and he said, Mom, I can't believe I screwed that up. And then I realized, you know, it's a light bulb moment of, wait a second, I'm not talking about what's relevant and interesting and exciting for this child right now. Hmm. I'm talking about what's exciting for me. And what's relevant to this child right now is overcoming this hurdle of mistakes are bad. And that the vision of success, you can't get there without without starting from where he is. And we actually ended up, he came up with the idea. We talked about all these famous people and all the mistakes they'd made, and he posted it. Uh, he put <laughs> it all over his wall uh, just as a reminder. And he said, Mom, I can get through this, but I need I, he needs to remember. He's, um, he's just nine years old, and he's learning that stuff young. But, yeah, reiterating, reinforcing, and also starting again, it just loops back into the same cycle. But, and keeping our ears open, because it sounds like we, we become deaf to others' issues because our issues are so much more pressing. So I'm more worried about, don't worry about the one miss on the test out of 15. Don't worry about that. But you're saying, I've got to hear where he is, go live there with him for a bit, explore it, and out of there, we together would create something better. Yeah, and you have to give a space for it. What you're talking, it's it's this, I see this a lot in teams uh, and parenting, but I see this a lot in the workplace where, where when you don't listen long enough, uh, A, someone stops sharing. They stop sharing what their point of view is because they don't think you care about it. Uh, they've told you enough times, and if you're not listening and reiterating it back to them, they think, ah, it didn't land. Hmm. And then they actually carry it with them for decades, and, and it becomes a massive hurdle, right? I, I work with a lot of people of different generations, and uh, the ones to me that are the most exciting are the 50-year-olds and 60-year-olds who are these very experienced um, profoundly beautiful people who have one hurdle left that they really want to overcome or, or five hurdles left that they really want to overcome, and it's having someone listen to it and, and shift it for them that they can move past it. I just went through that last week with, with a C-level um, individual who had something from when he was just a kid, and he, nobody had listened to his concern. No one listened to his vantage point, and he kept that filter through his whole life, uh, and we're now shifting it. So, so listening is, as a leader, the most important skill you could ever have. I mean, I guess that's the only way you can adjust the ship, right? And is you got to get the feedback. There's got to be some feedback to you that you're off course and or it's that the others aren't rowing with you or or pushing for you. And I guess the only way to do that is listening. Yeah. Where people get tripped up is, well, if I listen and I disagree with their point, then I shouldn't have listened in the first place. I hear people say that a lot, right? And the reality is, People, as long as they feel valued and heard, 
are okay to keep following you as a leader if you have a different opinion. If you can just, they, they need to feel valued, they need to feel heard. It doesn't mean they're going to uh, jump ship if you have a disagreement. You can agree to disagree on certain issues, and hierarchy eventually comes into play. It's like my kids, right, doing their homework. Um, eventually they, even if they're fighting me on it, they'll eventually follow through because they know it's the right thing, but they sometimes just need to vent about how frustrating it is for them. Right. It's, um, I guess, too, as a leader, if if you don't hear a lot of people giving you their feedback, um, it might be that they don't think you'll listen or that you don't listen or that that type of feedback's not a part of your vision at all. Right. And part of that comes from a fear of of... A fear of looking like you're a weak leader. I hear a lot of people say, uh, if I take accountability for this mistake or if I get this piece of feedback, it's, it's highlighting my weaknesses. Right. And the strongest leaders that I work with in the U.S. today, the really the Fortune 100 leaders out there, I even saw one of them stand in front of 10,000 people and own the mistake he had made the day before because for him, he wanted to show vulnerability so that they would say, hey, here's some other feedback. Let me, let me share this with you. Um, this will help you because you'll have more insight and info on, on how to drive this ship forward. Uh, but vulnerability and, and openness to feedback is critical. Mm. We, um, again, we're speaking with Christina Curtis about an article she wrote, Teach Your Team to Expect Success. She has a blog on Psychology Today, Stop Dreaming, Start Doing. We will take a break, come back, continue this discussion, and uh, find out more about uh, how we can be better leaders and share our vision with others. Stick with us, folks. We're helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Townsend Show. You ever been in charge of a team and you needed to get them motivated? You needed them to start believing that they could be successful and moving that team forward? Well, joining us today is Christina Curtis. She is a uh, a leadership and executive coach based in Colorado. She also writes on Psychology Today, um, has a blog there, Stop Dreaming, Start Doing. Today, she's been teaching us some of the skills, some of the tools to help us to... uh, to create uh, success with our teams, and we appreciate you being here again. Christina Curtis, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Talk to us about, uh, you've so far mentioned we've got to get a vision, we've got to know where we want to take the team. Then we have to reframe the team's narrative, um, and by reframing it, I guess you're constantly saying, go, go where they are, listen to what they're saying, and then take what you're hearing and reframe it back to the goal, the vision. Yeah, the reframing the narrative, it becomes critical when someone, any goal that's worth achieving is likely going to have some bumps along the road. We all know that. Right. Uh, we, don't, we don't envision that when we start setting the goal, but it's the reality. And every time you hit a bump, you have to reframe that narrative because if someone's out there and they fail to achieve the results they're looking for, my experience has been, it can almost trigger like a, a spiral of negative energy that becomes like an anchor. And, and that anchor can hold them from progressing or from trying out again or uh, from shifting out of a negative state. So the job as a leader is really to free them from that dead weight and, and take the negative experience 
and tell it like, rather than a negative story, a positive story. And, and Priya Nant, who's the head of global vendor operations at Google, had said to me in her interview uh, when I was writing this article, which I, I thought was really profound, sometimes team members see a dead end when it's a really just a sharp turn in the road. Hmm. Um, and I love that, right? Because you, you get there, we've all felt that feeling where we're like, oh, I blew it yeah. at the end of the road. And, and in fact, it's not. Yeah, it's just, in fact, it's part of the process. Yeah, it's just a right angle. It's, it's, and I guess that helps us because it, it's a way to keep hope alive because, yeah, we might awfulize it, it seems like. We would turn it into a horrible story um, that, would, that would then demoralize us. Which is way worse at night when no one's around, right? It's always, right. It's always worse when the lights go out and you sit lying there in bed ruminating about it. And, uh, and our job as leaders is to recognize human beings are naturally hardwired to over-amplify the negatives. And it's, it's from evolutionary psychology and the fact that we always are looking out for threats. And, and the more you can highlight what's working and reframe their negative thought patterns in a positive way, the more you're going to be able to propel them and motivate them to have the energy to drive after that goal and say, oh, yeah, it's not a dead end. Oh, wait, I see what's around the corner. Let's keep going. Well, and that, that tendency or propensity toward negativity also makes it so you never see things that are working. Another point you bring up in your article is shine the light on what's working. Because if you focus on what's working, you can at least see what's working and, and, and use those things that work and maybe use those to fix the things that don't. Yeah, and the most successful people that I work with, the top CEOs, always say nothing is always working. If I look at my system right now, my company right now, what's What's clear is that there are breakdowns that happen on an hourly basis. And if I highlight those to the team and only highlight those to the team, it's going to demoralize everyone and we'll think, oh, we failed, versus shining light on the aspects that are working. And, yep, we got a bump over here. Let's navigate our way through it. But, man, are we, when it comes to the trajectory of the business over the course of the year or over the course of the past few days, whatever it might be, we're nailing this. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And I guess so that that would be great on any family meeting and, and any postmortem on any family uh, or any business issue. When you sit down as a team, make sure you can see a lot of the good. Don't just fix the broken. Oh, especially personal relationships. All of this stuff is true in any aspect, in any arena of your life. And I, I look at my family, for instance, when you think about um, marriage and, and the balance that you need to constantly achieve um, to keep everybody in the home happy, you don't want to say to your partner every day, here are the three things you did wrong. And yet that's our tendency, right? It's, oh, you forgot to take the garbage out. Oh, you forgot to do this. Instead of, hey, thanks for doing that. I noticed you did this. Thank you so much. And the five to one ratio is often talked about um, in Gottman's research where the happiest of marriages and the happiest of teams have an equation of five to one positive interaction to negative interaction. And there's a reason for that. When you say more and more positive things to someone, it builds trust. They feel like you've got their best interests in mind. And then the one negative doesn't completely throw off the equilibrium. Yeah. Yeah. And and, um, it's the positive. It doesn't. I always have just seen it's the inverse of the negative. So you can sometimes fix the negative by just focusing on the positive. The, the positive right. itself is the opposite of – so we we never go out to dinner. We went out to dinner and had a great night tonight. That's telling each other that this is working. This is what we need to keep doing or in a week we're going to be talking about how we never go out to dinner. 
Right, and those words, never and always, are just really dangerous in any relationship. You never do this, you never do that. And they think, well, I did that. Yesterday. Uh, right? <laughs> right. So whenever whenever the, the never always, those are such heavy words. And especially with children, I find uh, when I, I have two kids, so with my first one, you don't really think about the balance as much. It's not a conscious it's not a conscious thought when I wake up in the morning to say, make sure I do five to one, right? I don't think that when right. I wake up and I go through my day and then I look over and I thought, oh my God, that kid has so much weight that I just put on them because I was so focused on what wasn't working. Or my husband is leaving for work so heavy because of all of that stuff. So I find it's really a, a thought process in the morning to wake up and say, how do I consciously have a positive effect on people's motivation and lives today? And, and, and yeah, and make a, a conscious effort. Talk about another point you bring up in your article is about give your team members more control. Turn it over to them. Let them own and have control over this. What's the psychology behind that? I see that it works. Um, I, I see a lot of power there. Um, but a lot of times you feel like I can't turn it over because they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Or I could do it better myself. Uh, I this is a very difficult thing, and I, I remember John Corley, who is um, president of Channel Partner Operations for Xerox, said to me, it takes great courage, great courage to empower your team, and it really does. Where it, where it, and why it works is because people will then feel like they, like they have control over something. When, when someone feels like they have ownership or control over something, they're going to work harder at driving results yeah. versus it being someone else's to do, someone else's task. And, uh, and where we also fall short on this one in the work f- workplace is you'll say, okay, Joe, this is your project. I'm going to chunk this off for you. You go do it. And then Joe goes and does all this great work. And then the leader at the end takes the data and presents it himself or herself to, to the board or to whoever. Giving that person ownership from beginning to end would be a much more powerful thing. Helping right. them feel like it's theirs. Um, it, it's, it's incredibly powerful, the results you can get from someone when you do that. And again, I guess that's also creates some honesty. It, it probably creates a sense that I can trust you as my leader. Absolutely. And vice versa. It's a two-way street. I, uh, I find in coaching often with leaders, we'll have them rate their relationships on a scale of one to five with each of the people that they work with. And in a family, you can do this too with, um, with an extended family. Uh, how well do I get along with this person? How strong is that relationship? Anything that gets a three out of five, meaning it's just mediocre or just meets expectation, a three out of five or below, we're not doing enough work there to build trust. And trust is the foundation for all empowerment. If you don't trust them or they don't trust you, you cannot hand things off freely because there will be a hiding of mistakes. There will be a lack of communication. There will be fear that they're going to get in trouble if something does drop and something always does. Yeah. Uh, so trust is critical. What would you say, and this is, I'm throwing a curve at you now, Christina. Um, uh, let's say that either party, the Trumps or, or, um, uh, the Clintons came in, sat and, and hired you and said, we need you to help us rebuild trust from our candidates. What, where would you begin? And, well, and, I, and how, how do you rebuild trust with a team that doesn't necessarily either trust your credibility, like your character, or doesn't trust your competency? It seems like to me one's got a character kind of issue, one's got a competency issue. Or both. I mean, they could have both issues, but it seems like that somehow this has to be rebuilt. What would you? How would you counsel them? 
Right. And, and politics, politics aside, if I just looked at the two leaders, yeah. for me, there is, we talked about this earlier in our, in our call today, vulnerability and taking accountability for where you make mistakes builds trust. Yeah. And I would start from there because the problem that's happening is when you feel, when you say you're right, I rarely hear people say, oh my, argue that they're wrong. I was so wrong. I never hear people say that. But I often hear people say, I'm right. And when you are right, you impose that someone else is wrong. Uh, and it creates a huge divide. It's, it, and I, my concern in politics is that um, there's, there's so much right that's making so many other people wrong. Um, and it's deteriorating relationships dramatically. So I would start from there. What, what can you own? Where can you show more vulnerability? Where can you start pointing the finger or stop pointing the finger and blaming? Um, because we're all human. We're all American. We're all on the same team. Right. And that seems so counterproductive or counterintuitive in the middle of an election to start identifying where you made mistakes and where you were wrong. Except in this case, it might actually – it would right. pay off huge dividends. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It builds credibility. We're all human and we all trip up. And it's not so much that the, the admittance of wrong as is being careful not to make other people wrong. Um, right. It's a very fine balance as a leader. In politics, it exacerbates this. But, um, but yeah, I would take I would I would start from a human standpoint where we're all on the same team for both parties. It's mm, great insight. What um, as we wrap this up, Christina? What's the one thing uh, that you've, you've either talked about or you haven't mentioned yet? The one thing that if I'm a new team leader, I sit down with my team that I, I need to make sure I do this well and I need to do it right right up front. And if I do, it'll, it'll pay a huge dividend down the road. The one thing, uh, well, if I look at the people that I work with who are most successful, the one thing they do is, is let their guard down, show vulnerability and, and come at, come at the process from, I, I often think we judge ourselves by our, our intentions. We judge others by their actions, right? Yeah. So, so come in the room and just say, lay out your intentions. Let them lay out your, their intentions and get back to that one goal. Where are we headed? Let's create a strong foundation so that no matter what happens from here on out, we can come back to this and we won't get torn apart. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Again, uh, um, you know, we all need it, Christina. Leadership's everywhere, from family to government uh, and everywhere in between. Christina Curtis is her name. You can find her if you go to um, stop, uh, if you go to Psychology Today and just look up her blog, which is titled Stop Dreaming, Start Doing. Uh, tons of information and research there. She coaches and works with executives. She also has a website, igniteperformanceconsulting.com, igniteperformanceconsulting.com. Thank you again, Christina. We'll take a break, come back, and uh, do a little Coach's Corner and a little uh, in, filling in on some of the latest stories. Just an update, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger and lead a healthier life. We'll be right back. It's my house. Come on. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, if you haven't learned this yet, apparently there's there are going to be people in your life. They're either, you know, they could be your children. They could be your, your spouse. Uh, in Ben's case, it could be a parole officer. 
but you're going to have somebody near and dear to you. And these people are going to be irritants, possibly. They also could be uh, help. They could be there to lift you, to make your life better. They can tear you down, (laughs) beat you up. But if you can't work with people, then what else are you going to be left with? Well, maybe a chicken. According to a a report we just got, uh, a French sailor has embarked on a journey around the world accompanied by his pet hen named Monique. Garrick Sudi. There's Monique right there. A 24-year-old from Brittany, France, has been traveling with his pet hen and chronicling... What'd you say, Monique? What'd you say, babe? Aw, cute little Monique. He's been chronicling their adventures since 2014. And, you know, for a minute he thought, maybe, maybe I ought to get a cat. I'll just have a cat, and I'll bring a cat as my companion instead of Monique. But then he thought, you know, that's going to take a lot of work. So the hen was the ideal choice. It wouldn't work. I mean, it wouldn't take work. The hen would, you know, the hen would just be there to be his friend. So now they just sit on the boat, float around the world. She follows every. She follows him everywhere. She's like just this little pal. They just sit on the side of the boat. So, Monique, what do you think about the sunset, Monique? What do you think, babe? Mmm. Yeah. That's really good. What should we have for dinner, Monique? Oh, eggs. <laughs> okay, Monique. You know, I guess when it comes down to it, uh, in Castaway, it's better than a ball. It beats a volleyball. Well, at least a volleyball would, like, you'd be able to decide what it answers. Monique, does my bother, does my mother irritate you? Monique, answer me. Don't make me wring your neck, Monique. Get over here, you little chicken. <laughs> yeah, I think she'd drive me crazy. And do they, it seems like it'd have a hard thing, it'd be hard to, like, stay on the boat for that little bird. Right? Because aren't boats a little slippery as you're walking along the sides? What does she grab onto her with her little I think she uses her little legs. beak to, like, grab onto the rope in case she slips. Yeah, I bet you Monique's just learned to hold onto the rope. I bet she could tie a great knot. Oh, yeah. All those sailor knots. Man. All I need to do is shout Monique, and she will come to me. She's to sit on me, give me company. She's amazing. What would you choose out there in the Twitter sphere? What would you choose? If you were going to take a pet around the world with you, what would you pick? A chicken? A hen? Personally, I'd want a horse. I've never had a horse. I bet a horse would be hard on a boat. Have you seen The Life of Pi? Yeah. I'd choose a tiger. Yeah, you'd be dead. Ah, that kid didn't die. Well, you're not that kid. (laughs) Not to be rude. I'm very good with cats. (laughs) You're kitty, 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 kitty. When you think about it, folks, in the end, you're going to have to learn to work with people or you're going to be left circumnavigating the world with a hen. Nothing wrong with that. Don't want to dissuade anybody from doing that. People matter. And so people's skills matter. 
we probably, in fact, I believe strongly that that's one of the reasons you're here on this earth is to figure out yourself as you interact with others, to not get caught up in like the peer pressure where you think you've got to do something for some other reason than your values suggest. Instead, I think we're here to, to discern and figure out and become a, an agent that chooses how we're going to live. Do you believe that? Are you ever going to uh, be able to perfect dealing with people? I don't think so because every person you come across will be just a little bit different. But unless you want to spend the rest of your life on a boat or alone in your house, I mean, I get it. I'm somebody, I'm an introvert sometimes. I love to just be alone, except there's also times I want to go with people. I I want to be with people. I want to hang out and learn and grow and change. So let's do what we can to start learning these skills on the personal level. Don't worry about everyone else learning them because they may not. But you in your life today can learn how to be a better team leader, how to be a better person, how to read people, how to listen, how to understand, how to manage your emotion, how to manage their emotion. So a little challenge for you as we end this coaching corner, what are you going to do? What's one thing that you can go make better today in your life by working better with people? What's one relationship you need to work on? And what's the most important thing you need to learn to manage that relationship more effectively? And then get on it. Go look up something on psychology today. Go to my website at matttownsend.com. Anywhere you can, gather the information you can, get the help. Just listen to the show for heaven's sakes. We'll get it. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the show. Next hour, we're going to be taking on parenting and uh, why it's good for kids to be bored. Wouldn't it be great if your kid could just be bored once in a while? No, his brain will turn to mush. We'll take a break. We'll be back. We're talking boredom and your children with Julie Nelson next hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show, hour number three of Utopia, Heaven on Earth. The program where we give you the information to live longer, love stronger, lead healthier, happier lives. Is that what we're calling it now? Yes, Utopia. If they call it Zootopia, why can't we call it Utopia? You. Y-O-Utopia. It's about you. I see what you did there. Thank you very much. We're helping you build the life you need to build. The healthier one, the happier one, one that gets results one that lifts everyone else around you. We don't need a bunch of selfish people, but we do need every one of us to be performing at our best uh, level. That's what we try to do on the show, bring you the latest, the greatest, the, the research uh, about what makes people tick. Today, no exception. We'll be speaking with Julie K. Nelson. We call her the bomb mom and the, and the child whisperer. She's going to be talking to us why it's good for kids to be bored. Now in a day and age when there's technology constantly, you know, calling for their attention, guess what? It might be good for your kids to be bored once in a while. Forces them to do something else with their brain other than just chase Pokemon. 
So that could be helpful. We'll be getting into that. Also be talking with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Plus also latest, greatest headlines. We'll be doing a hero at the end of the hour, as we like to do each and every hour. But first, let's get to the news with Sadie Nielsen. Find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Sadie, what's up? So in the news today, uh, Yahoo's contract as an independent internet company is coming to an end. On Monday, Verizon confirmed its $4.8 billion buyout of Yahoo. Verizon won the bidding war for Yahoo.com after a five-month-long auction following Yahoo's announcement in February that it would consider alternatives as its revenue declined quickly. Yahoo will hand over its email services, websites, advertising tools, and real estate assets. The deal will also likely end the contract of Yahoo CEO Marissa Mayer. The deal will reportedly close in the first quarter of 2017. In Pokemon news, Nintendo's share price plummeted 17% in Tokyo trading Monday after investors apparently finally realized the company doesn't actually make Pokemon Go, the remarkably popular new augmented reality game. To clear the air, Nintendo put out a statement Friday after the close of trading, pointing out that it doesn't own or make the game, though it does hold significant stakes in Niantic, as does Google parent Alphabet. A deadly hostage taking at a Catholic church in Normandy in which a priest was killed and another person seriously wounded was a terror attack committed in the name of ISIS. Besides the slain priests, two nuns and two churchgoers have been taken hostage. The situation ended when the two attackers were shot dead by police. And finally, in good news... A solar-powered plane and its two crewed members completed a lap of the world Monday night, making them the first fuel-free plane to complete the journey. The Solar Impulse 2 plane has its wingspan of a Boeing 747 but runs entirely on solar power from its 17,000 solar cells. The record-breaking journey took nearly 118 hours. Wow. Good things coming to us. I bet they're so wanting it to be over. And not an ounce of gas used. Not an ounce. Completely fuel-free. Except except for the creation of the solar panels. Correct. Which took 5 billion gallons. (laughs) That's great. That's cool. Science, folks. Taking off. Well done, Sadie. Thank you very much. By the way, last week we had a little little argument about what kind of music do you associate with a hammock? One of those profound discussions. So we put up a little Twitter uh, test. What do we call these? A Twitter... Survey. Survey. And it looks like uh, Hawaiian Day was tied with um, Jimmy Buffett Day, or Jimmy Buffett music. Hawaiian music and Jimmy Buffett music. Jamaican music uh, was was as a, a a distant third. Interesting thing, though, I have a feeling, because I haven't voted yet, so I'm going to go vote. And my vote will sway the jury because it's exactly 43% say Hawaiian music, 43% say Jimmy Buffett music. And there's only – it's a small enough sample that I bet I can sway the vote. But what you're not accounting for is that I have an array of Twitter accounts that I can use in this. What you're not accounting for is that I have 45,000 followers on Facebook. And all I need to do is say – Jimmy Buffett? Case closed. But what you're not accounting for. (laughs) Here goes the fight. (laughs) It's still going on. It's really interesting. Um, The uh, Hawaiian music and Jimmy Buffett music, very close head-to-head race now. It's a head-to-head race. And again, for the people that flew around the world, how cool is that without 
just using solar. That's pretty neat, pretty amazing. But technology now is being used to do a lot of things that we used to not think we should do. For example, a dad used a helicopter to extract his son's loose tooth. Ouch. That hurts. We've all used some method of getting the tooth out. I always do, hey, let me wiggle your tooth thing, and then I just flip it out. And that always made my kids mad. Then, you know, I've heard of people using a door. That just is ruthless. Tie a string around the door. The funny thing is, once you've got the string around the tooth, you don't need a door or a helicopter. Just pull it. Just pull it. Yeah. I like doing it so fast that they can't believe how easy that was. Except every once in a while, you'll jerk on that string and their head comes off their shoulders. And then you're like, that one wasn't ready. (laughs) My bad. Your mom said I should do it. Um, Then you blame mom. Here are some other ways we figured out. Because if you're going – if you have the means to get a helicopter, Mm. there are other ways you could pull a tooth. Uh, You might want to try the the age-old way using an F-16. Listen for the string. Do you hear that ding? Mm-hmm. That would hurt. But impressive when that – when you get that – the – what's it called? The, the bubble of just air and concussion that comes from – or per, what's it called? Percussion? I don't know. Uh, it's concussion. When you break the sound barrier right in front of you. But wouldn't you lose the tooth? Yeah, but part – Part of the whole thing is you have to have the tooth afterwards. Well, you could like tie a little – a uh, parachute onto the tooth. Okay, seems like a lot of work. Wow, there's easier ways to do it. I, I think if I think it would be cooler to have an F-16 show up than the Tooth Fairy. Does the F-16 give you like some money? Here's another way: if, if so. your dad's not in the if your dad is not in the Air Force, but it happens to be in the Navy, Ooh. there's another way you can do it. <laughs> Just connected to a submarine. Okay. And then as the submarine starts to go down, pulls it out. Remember to hold on to your kid, though. Yeah. (laughs) They learn that the hard way. Don't deep six your kid. Yeah. What I would do is I'd probably tie your child to a mooring Mm. and just buckle him in. Brace him. Brace him. That's one way. Another way, which I found was the funnest way. If you and these are hard to do now mm. because the shuttle's no longer being launched, so that you're gonna have to find some other method. Well, they're shooting rockets up there. Uh, yeah, you could, you'll have to go to a rocket launching, yeah. but it's not the same as the shuttle. Um, I've been to a shuttle takeoff, and they're incredible, right? Incredibly moving. Uh, but here is a countdown where we could just tie your tooth up to a rocket or a shuttle. Ignition sequence start. Six. Five, now, Timmy, hold four, your neck still. Three, Mama's two, gonna hold you. One. Oh, there it goes. All right. I thought he was a little too close to the fire. These are all very imaginative ways. See, you still, I think, would damage the tooth to the point. Again. Where the whole tooth fairy transaction wouldn't happen. You need to let go of the tooth fairy in this scenario. Okay. You're, you're sitting next but, to a rocket taking But with off. the kid? Yeah. You're, you, you say to the son, son, mm. do you want to sit a few feet away from a rocket? Okay. As it takes off, or would you rather have your tooth fairy come? Buy a toy. 
Look, son, I'll give you 10. Look, son, here's the deal. Tooth fairy, I'm going to blow it up here. <laughs> and then you give him the news. Oh, wow. And then you yank that tooth mm-hmm. from the roots. I, this would work for wisdom teeth. <laughs> you could use this for wisdom teeth. The child teeth. is a little bit older. Yeah. Like- I had to get my wisdom teeth pulled. I would have done it with a rocket. That would have been cool. I would have chosen the F-16 personally. Yeah, that would be faster it seems like. That's true. Plus less heat. Yeah. Less heat. Anywho, anything going on uh, around the world or country that we need to be paying attention to, Terry? So the Olympics begins here in a few weeks. Yes, that'll be exciting. I don't know if it's in a week or if it's in two weeks, but fairly soon we're going to have some Olympic athletes to watch. We've been, I've been watching uh, the NBA players that are playing for the yeah. men's basketball team. They They're beat, looking good. They beat China by 50-something points <laughs> over the weekend. I watched yeah. a couple minutes of that. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is boring. And but, Coach K said they're going to have a little. They're going to have a harder time playing with this ball. This ball. Yep. Yeah. And then they beat him by 100? It was 50. Oh. 50, 60 points. Yeah. They're doing okay. Yeah, they're fine. I think the ball's fine. They'll be okay. Um, But uh, concerns about the Olympic Games in Rio begin flooding in, or been flooding in for months. Optimists about the event were uh, dealt another blow on Sunday. According to the Sydney Morning Herald in Australia, the Australian Olympic Committee paid a visit to inspect the Olympic Village in Brazil over the weekend and confirmed that as of Sunday, the location isn't ready for their athletes. Well, so they've got time. Their understanding is that the safety issues are to do with uh, amenity. A spokesperson said there were leaky pipes. These are all in the uh, the Olympic Village. Leaky pipes, spot flooding, blocked toilets, and unlit stairwells, for instance. The Rio Organizing Committee had sent a large team of cleaners and repair staff, but could not say when the village would be open. Well, it sounds like Ben's house. So the Australian team chief uh, went further detail about the problems. He said uh, they did a stress test where the taps and toilets were simultaneously turned on in the apartments on several floors <laughs> to see if the system could cope. Once the athletes are in the house, it failed. Water came down the walls. There was a strong smell of gas in some apartments, and there was shorting in the electrical wiring. Wow. Uh, this was they're, they're due to move in on the 21st of July, which was last week, but we have been living in nearby hotels because the village is simply not safe or ready for athletes. Well, this is going to be a fun Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> the, Same thing happened in, uh, in Sochi, in Russia. Yeah. As people started moving in and it just wasn't <laughs> ready, there were holes in walls and someone had to like break out of a room or something because the door locked on them. Was this the Times report about the water they're going to be swimming in? No, that was a different one. And we've heard that several times now that the water is essentially their sewer. It's human waste. And they're, the swimming – some not, not most of the swimming takes place in a pool. Oh, good. But you're talking about the rowing events, sailing events yeah. are in this bay yeah. off of Rio and it's just not safe. Do they have a triathlon they in the do. Olympics? Do they swim in that? They might. And they're going to be swimming in uh, <laughs> unsafe waters. Let's put it that way. It's so hard because this is a world event. We want the world to know. I mean, some people live in conditions that are different. So this adds a little advantage to those that are used to, to rowing a boat in, <laughs> in sewage. But, but I, I don't think that was their intention. In yeah. There were some reports of floating couches, some other furniture-type items that were in the water Stroke. also. Stroke! Stroke! Whichever the couch! Left! Left! 
Stroke. Uh, it just it just turns Stroke. your your rowing competition into an obstacle course, and that's really not the way the Olympic event is. We set were up, doing so. great until we ran into the Ottoman. Then that yeah. Ottoman just threw us right out. <laughs> Jeez, how do you how do you would you not be nervous? Like, because these guys have routines, they have rituals. Yes, like some people need to soak in a bath before they go do their event, and now their bath doesn't even have water. They'll have to just soak in the hallway where the water's coming out of the wall. Sad. They're saying the uh, the Olympic Village was built by construction company Oldbright and property developer, this other property developer. They plan to profit by selling the apartments after the games. Just turn them into normal apartments and sell them on the well, market. That's not going to work. Uh, but a plunge in the real, real estate prices and the jailing of the president of the property developing company, or the construction company's president was uh, jailed for corruption earlier this year. Oh, boy. Uh, that could explain why the work wasn't completed to the high standard that was Poor expected. Brazil. So the construction company has some corruption issues. The property values have dropped, and now they have these apartments that apparently aren't up to standard. Even like turning on water and the shower and flushing toilets at the same time, the pipes burst. You know what? I promise it'll still be a great Olympics because NBC's invested a lot of money. And they're going to show us just the parts that are good. Yeah, that's (laughs) and that's the way it works. And and then the problem is then they all leave when everybody leaves, and then they do the special uh, needs Olympics, special uh, special Olympics afterwards. Yes. Once everyone's gone, mm-hmm. that's when Rio's going to really be in trouble because now they've got to fix everything. Yeah. And they don't have any money left uh, over to fix anything. Sad. Yeah. Um, kind of a downer, by the way, not to be negative. Unite the world. Unite the world. We will take a break. When we come back, we will pick up our game a bit to make it more positive with Julie K. Nelson, the uh, bomb mom, we call her. She's going to be talking to us about your kids and boredom. Maybe it's okay. They're a little bored once in a while. We'll get to her, her latest and greatest thinking on that. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you grow healthy, happy families along the way. We'll be right back. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends of the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, on the uh, on set here is who, who better than the bomb mom, Julie K. Nelson, also known as the Child Whisperer from a spoonful of parenting.com. She is a, a professor um, at Utah Valley University uh, teaching applied parenting and marriage and relationship skills. And today she's talking about children and boredom. Yeah. They should never be bored. They never should be Ever. bored. Ever. They should be constructively pokey going pokey going all the time do you um are you do you buy into the pokey go app as changing the world because it's making us healthier i think it's a great idea like the concept i think was great to get us to know our our community better yeah. the the you know the sites that we should be seeing and learning more about um, totally my, my daughter told me last night that our public library is swarming teeming with teens which is great i mean which, and the sad know, thing is not one of them reading a book, out a book. <laughs> It's so sad. Hey, I got a go- what are the names of them? I got a Charizard. <laughs> yeah, sad. but no, it's getting them active. Yeah, you know? it's it's helping, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Because Matt, have you ever had a child of all your kids? Yeah, and ever say to you, especially in the summertime, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. But see, but mine mine actually wouldn't say that until we 
press on them because they would just go do something meaningless, useless, like a video game. Mm-hmm. And they could sit there for 10 hours. Then when my wife says, no more video games, then they're like, I'm bored. Exactly. Right. <sighs> so we're going to talk about that today. Okay. Because summer, do do? summer is do? the worst yeah. time. Yeah. Because I think that the reason there, there's, I broke it down to three reasons why a child would say I'm bored. Okay, cool. The first one is, is the very one you just mentioned. They're so, uh, their brains are so wired for electronics. Yeah, like stimulation. And screen uh-huh. entertainment that they aren't practiced at looking in within themselves for creativity, for stimulus, for fun, for uh, recreation. Right. And so when they, and we'll talk about research, that research shows that those who are totally locked into um, video games, when they do have to stop, they're more bored than those who aren't so locked into you know, so their brains don't know what to do with themselves once right. they don't have that entertainment. They're they're completely yeah, big one, big useless. one. Yeah. So we so number two is that their time is so structured that we aren't using their free time for them to have creativity and downtime mm-hmm. and let them say to themselves, "What can I do with my time?" So that their parents not plugging them into every moment of the day. So that we overbook our kids. Yeah. And when we overbook and we overschedule, then when we do have downtime, they have no idea what to do because you've told them what to do and think and say <sighs> all the time. You know, we're going to go yeah. from baseball practice to swim mm-hmm. meets What's to, next, mom? Yeah, What's yeah, next? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's the deal, mm-hmm. not to interrupt you. Little kid, my mom – I was a latchkey kid. My mom would go work. My dad was – they were divorced. I'd stay home in the summer. We have a field in our backyard. I found while foraging through the field, I found a piece of wood, a big – piece of wood that I could cover my fort with, found it about six o'clock the night before. (sighs) I remember waking up the next day. First thing I thought, wood, got to get the wood, got to figure out how to get the wood from there to my fort in my backyard. How do I get it? Mm -hmm. Just cut the fence, (laughs) cut the fence. I had to solve it. How do you cut a fence? I had to find the tool to cut the fence. Cut the fence. Didn't think about what happens when you cut a fence, like that it just falls apart. Didn't think or about that. Or that someone might be mad with, right. with you. Somebody put the fence up for a reason, uh-huh. Uh-huh. but it was in my way. But what was interesting is I was forced. <laughs> nobody was telling me how to do this. You're problem solving, Matt. And I spent all night and all day stewing on this, trying to figure out how to solve a problem. Yeah. But our, I don't know that our kids. And you made, you made a mistake and I suppose yeah. somewhere down the line you had – there were some consequences. There were. You were yeah. learning life skills. Right. And so, yeah, if we do tell them everything to do all the time and what to think and where to go uh, and we're structuring their lives so uh, so closely that they will be bored. Yeah. Um, and the third one I just want to talk about briefly is just that we need to have parents involved on some level in their lives. We just can't – Totally just uh, let them run free and say, no. just go and, and make yourselves have some fun. We have to be there to have some oversight and perhaps even some inspiration. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll talk about how parents can – at some points, key points along the way can help stimulate stimulate the kids to be creative and to have fun and not to be so bored. Excellent. It looks like someone out there is doing a pokey go right now. Yeah. They, they – they, oh, it's – oh, my god. Is this studio it's one Jerem of the – Jordan. Do we He's, have uh, – Oh, it's the whole Jerem Jordan game. Jason Shepard. They're all – chasing down Pokemon in our – it's because we set lures yeah, and we trap we, – we get a lot of them to come by and then in the crowds gather. <laughs> I could see them outside the window. And then we sign them up for <laughs> direct marketing opportunities. 
It's pretty great, little gig. Oh, my gosh. I'm building a multi-level marketing company. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back, mm-hmm. and then you can go through the tools uh-huh, the we group. need. Yeah, absolutely. This is cool. Helping you uh, deal with your kids' boredom in the middle of the summer. Mm-hmm. And can you help Jerem Jordan deal with his boredom in the middle of the morning? Uh, you'll be hearing from Jerem in just a few minutes. We're going to ask him if he got which Pokemon he got right in front of our right in front of our windows here. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live a healthier, happier life and less bored, if possible, and your kids as well. Stick with us. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show, Julie Nelson joins us from a spoonfulofparenting.com, a great blog you're going to want to go check out. She's written two books, Parenting with Spiritual Power and Keep It Real and Grab a Plunger, 25 Tips for Surviving Parenthood. Today, she's dealing with the issue that many kids have when they yell to their moms and dads, I'm bored in the middle of summer. Yeah, hear it a lot. Um, and we talked about the three reasons why, central reasons why they could say that. And the first one was because we're, we're raising a generation who are addicted to screens. Yeah. And so your electronics um, are, are – the ways that they're, they're, the games are is they give you little doses of, of the dopamine, right, the reward center of your brain. And so every time you get that Pikachu or you get the – you know, whatever you're getting um, on some game, you're getting a little reward yeah. stimulus in your brain. And just like you would have with a drug, Right, and then w- that's so enjoyable that you want to keep having over and over again. And then when you when the child can't be on the screen, they're not going to get the same. They're having withdrawals. Yeah, they're having withdrawals. You'll see them go through withdrawals. And when you're on your vacations this summer, you'll actually see that happen. If you're somewhere where there's no, yeah. no Wi-Fi, they'll go through these withdrawals. You're going to like want your kid to have heroin. <laughs> It's like, exactly. you guys are a mess. But I saw it at the convention last night. They'd shoot to people just listening. No one was listening to the speaker. Everyone's on a screen. Yeah, because it's way more rewarding to have that that's than it. to have to sit and listen yeah. to somebody. Interesting. And, and when they go to school, that's a real problem because the teacher's not giving them little dopamine rewards all the time. You know, they're not electric. That's so true. And so we really need to get them off their devices. Um and and get them to have different types of stimuli that the brain, the natural stimuli that the brain can have when they're creating. American Pediatric Association says two hours of screen time for kids under twelve. Yeah, and they say under no two, more. and under two, none at all. None. Yeah. Um, so they need to have other experiences that build up other parts of their brain mm-hmm. um, and socio, you know, skills such yeah. as friend building, friend talking. building. Yeah, yeah. So you need to have motor skills and perceptual skills like with building with blocks and engaging with other kids. You learn how to get along and and problem solve creative pursuits um, and be physically active. All these things are really good for sustaining attention and sustaining go- a good mood that's naturally occurring, not the reward center that is an external stimuli that games give right, you. Right, right. So let them have a variety of other things. And you might see them go through withdrawals, and it's going to be ugly, <laughs> but limited. Um, yeah. Um, oh, it's sad. And on, when you're on trips this summer, when you're in the, in the car, what do you want to do the whole time? Well, I want to have, like, peace and quiet. So right. just give them their iPads and tell them to shut up for 12 yeah. hours. Um, now, that's a great idea to an extent. And I don't not like iPads. I think they're great in phones. But, again, two hours. 
Yeah. And then let's change. Let's change it up. And then have a conversation. Then play a game. Yeah, then just do something. Do something else. And they and it might be like I have some parents that tell me, well, then they end up fighting. You know, he's breathing my air and stuff like that. <laughs> well, is that such a bad thing that your kids start to become no. restless and they want to maybe start poking at each other? Yeah. Th- those are skills of learning how to get along. Well, once weapons are pulled, we like to pull our car over. <laughs> That's when we start. But until then, okay, I'm even, pulling over. Even if they start to quarrel and fight, yeah. let them work it out. Yeah. Those are life skills. Um, you know, b- do intervene when weapons are pulled. But before yeah. that, you can you can have the kids I, work on things. I'm where I am today because I was tortured by three older sisters yeah. and yeah. survived. Yeah. You learn you learn some skills you can't get with electronics. That's true. You learn how to negotiate, problem solve, compromise, forgive, and forget. Life's not always fair, and how to regulate their emotion. And these are essential skills we know about emotional intelligence. Oh, Those yeah. who are successful are not successful because they are smart or they're good on electronics because they've learned these skills of people solving. Yeah, people skills. Now, number two is being overbooked. Life is not scripted. So let your child have time to stare at the clouds and bug catch. Give them a bug catcher. Get them the, the uh, sidewalk chalk. Give them paint. Give them right. all these things and then just let them have free time. Don't, don't schedule their lives so much during the school year and especially this summer that they don't have time to be a child. And they say uh, play is a child's work. Yeah. Um, work is child's play. It's, 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 it's interchangeable. Psychologists and child uh, uh, doctors, pediatricians, uh, all confirm that play is where a child learns. And they need to have the downtime to learn how to do all these like skills. Problem solving mm-hmm. and, and, I mean, and just the creativity, the ability to make up your own narrative instead of having it handed to you. And so, yes, so in the summertime, especially, don't have them running from one thing to the other, to the other, to the other. And then number three is uh, being a, a parent who inspires and scaffolds. When I mean scaffolding, that's another term we use a lot, where you, you support your child in their creativity. If you just say, okay, go, just go and have fun, uh, children who are not used to building you know, uh, yeah. your, your tree house and other things like that don't know. Um, so you have, to, you have to be there to say, hey, what if you took these materials and made this? And maybe sit there for a little while and help them to learn how to do some of these things. And then once you get the juices going, and then you can back off. Mm-hmm. And you have to give them the materials, buy the creative games. Um, I have a, My son goes to one, this one uh, friend's house, who I love to have him play over there because they're not on their devices the whole time. Yeah. Other friends, yes. And it just drives me crazy because when they, then they come to my house, they expect to be on their devices the whole time. And we have the 50-50 rule, which is quite generous, where I say for every hour you're on your devices, then you have to go do something else. Ooh, it's that's non-devices. a good rule. Um, so they, they do get to have an hour. Hour, they go play and then they come back and they do something for an hour. But you know what happens? Well, After I say go and shoot baskets for a while, go play horse or whatever, they end up doing it longer than an hour. They get so involved in the doing, they yeah. forget to come back to the devices. But don't you notice that when they come back, they smell like sweaty dogs? I love it. It's great. It means that they're being teenagers. <laughs> and that's just the girls. But my, but, my, but, my, but my son who goes over to this one kid's house, they have so many open-ended games. They have 3D puzzles. Oh, I love that. They have laser tag. Yeah. They have the Nerf guns. They have the basketball hoop. And every time I pick him up, I go, what did you do today? Because I'm so excited to hear what he did at this friend's house yeah. because their parents foster this creativity. And I love for him to go over there. So do a 50-50 rule, parents. I know for the second hour, your kids might look at you with blank stares and go through withdrawal. So you might have to supply them with ideas. Well, when you Have you noticed that they – like I'll tell them stories how I could play in the backyard with a Tonka truck till I was 12 <laughs> – 
uh, or four, thir- 12 probably, but I could live in a, a land of make-believe. And they look at me like, okay. What is a land of make-believe? They yeah. have no idea what that is. Mr. Rogers, the whole bit, they don't know. That's got to be harming them. Mm-hmm. It is. And, and research will back that up uh, because we need to have problem solvers. And the creative people are the innovators of tomorrow. Right. And so you can play electronic games all you want. But unless you can create and go into your mind and go into that other world, and that, that they will not be the innovators of tomorrow. But, that, but now they're saying that, yeah, but a lot of these games let me do the creating. A lot of them let me make up my own – my own, you know, avatar and make me – I can be anyone I want to be and go live a world. Yeah, you is can do Is that the it. same? No, it, it, there, is, there is a sliver of that. Yes, that does. That does but that is very one-dimensional. There's so many other aspects yeah. of creativity with the hands-on and even what we talked about with social skills. Right. We have to be able to get those um, – those skills developed as well. There's so many. So give them the marshmallows and the toothpicks and the gum, the gumdrops and help them to create those mm-hmm. models. And not just that they learn C plus programming. You know that's that's one aspect that's of, of, of creativity. Right. But there's so many others. They they have to solve the bathroom riddle. And where they're in the middle of a field, they're too far from their house really to make it worth going there. <laughs> they don't want to go ask a neighbor. What do they do? Well, my my son, my 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 son, my my brother has a backyard that's quite large, and they have um, a pool, and they don't want the kids to come in and out, um, you know, from the pool to go to the bathroom because it brings in all of the water yeah, and all. Right. Okay, so they, this boy, their son of theirs, solved that problem because he has a small bladder. So they have what's called the pea tree. Oh, a pea tree! <laughs> it's like a dish, isn't it? <laughs> Kind of, if you say it that way. Other way is that the corner tree in the very back Uh of their house has not been designated. (laughs) It's yellow. The one without leaves. It's called the piece. So he's figured out that he just goes to the corner and leaves himself. He figured it out. He figured it out. Yeah. yeah. See? This is what it's about. This boy's going to be smart. Yeah. He's resourceful. I figured out that if you don't, you don't have to weed. Like my mom would say, okay, I need you to weed this bed. You don't have to weed it. I figured out you could just shovel it and turn it all over. And I was brilliant. I'm like, you don't even have to weed, you guys. If you just bury the weeds, then it's just dirt. And then I, then like three days later, they all come up again. again. <laughs> so then I learned, but I learned a very valuable lesson. So I love what you're bringing up, Matt. Some of your favorite childhood memories. Yeah. And I bet a lot of them had nothing to do with electronic devices. What did None you do in the summer? We chased uh, tr- cars. We found a good stick, mm-hmm. and we'd build forts, lots of forts. Yeah. Lots of bike riding. Uh, when it rained, we'd ride the gutters down to State Street, mm-hmm. almost die. Good memories like that. Good memories. Um, you know, I think about your childhood and mine, and they kind of looked a lot like the movie The Sandlot. Remember yeah, those boys totally. that played baseball, yeah. played baseball all summer? Yeah. Open-ended, not a lot of parent supervision. I mean, they gave them the tools. Um, they had the field. They had the, right. but the parents. You had to like find a, a ball. You always had to find a ball. Yeah, that yeah. was the hard and part. And then, and then they supported that, but they weren't. Where they weren't there telling them all the time what to do, right. and it was open ended. So think about things like that with your sons and your daughters to create the environment where you're inspiring them, um, and you're helping them to get started. But then you pull back and then let them have this free time. And look at all the quarrels they had. And they had. To, oh, yeah. Remember that movie? How they're all fighting with uh-huh. each other, and they had to, they had to hierarchies always in exactly, play. And they, and they had to prove themselves, and they and they had all these they had all these solutions yeah. they came up with. It was marvelous. You always had an enemy in the neighborhood mm-hmm. that you all were against, like it like the guy with the dog. And this is a rich, rich childhood. That's cool. Here's another uh, memory of, a, of someone that I really would like to uh, leave our listeners with. 
When I think back to my school-aged childhood, I have many happy memories of playing after school with friends in our neighborhood and during the summer. We knew that after we checked in and had a snack, if we wanted one, we could play until dinner time or all day long in the summer. I spent many happy hours playing kickball, tag, weave in, wave out. I bet people don't even know what this is anymore. Playing in the treehouse we we built ourselves, riding bikes, skating, building snowmen, uh, uh, sports, like you said. Yeah. Playing in the mud, climbing trees, digging dirt forks, jumping in leaves, having water fights, playing in water-filled gutters, like you said, Mm. laughing in the rain, having Mm. handstands and headstand contests, making mud pies in the sandbox, just name a few. I had such a happy childhood. This is what we want our children to to go within themselves and dig deep and say, I have what it takes to make myself happy. I don't need to have anyone else there to tell me to do that. That's it. That's way good. Julie Nelson's her name. Go to her website, a spoonful of parenting.com. Tons of parenting tips there and just a great spirit all around we'll take a break come back visit our good buddies at byu sports nation stick with us this is the matt townsend show welcome back friends to the matt townsend show one and two, two lonely numbers. We're going to shoot it down to one and two and find out what's going on on this BYU Sports Nation show coming up at the top of the hour. Hello, gentlemen. What are they? And you've got Jason Shepard. Yeah, Jason Shepard's I could. For a second day? Hey, I saw you guys outside of my window loitering. It was called a walk and talk. Oh, is that what you were yeah, doing? Yeah, we were, we were, we were doing uh, what the kids like to call a tweet. And uh, doing a little walk and talk, previewing the show. Um, you were on a pokey search. <laughs> we were not. We are not on a pokey search. You were search. looking for pokey people. No, but uh, I have been told that uh, that somewhere in this building is a pokey gym, whatever that means. Really? I think yeah. it's in Who's Ben's. Gym? I don't know. I went to an actual gym. That's kind of the only thing I know. Yeah. No. this is. Uh, it's in Ben's drawer. I've seen it. It's horrible. <laughs> it's disgusting. Next time, can you play the filter Cover? The, the filter cover? The, the band, filter. Okay, cover. They do one as lonely. Okay, we'll do yeah. that one Tomorrow? next time. Yeah, I didn't know we were taking... Requests. Uh, filter. Uh, re- yeah, okay, we'll one, do that. Ben's writing it yeah. down. Same song, but by filter. Apparently, gentlemen, uh, those that are keeping score, the gym is on the other side of the parking lot and the Bean Museum. Mm. Okay. It's right okay. there by the bell tower. Mm. So... Great. I just gave it away. Now we're going to have millions of people. Now we're not going to be able to get out of the parking lot at the end of the day. Yeah. It's right. going to be jam-packed. You've Jason, endangered the entire organization. Jason, are you losing your voice? I have had. I have been losing my voice for like four days. <gasps> I'm not sick. There's nothing. Uh-huh. Is it's, it the change? Is the change happening? <laughs> the, no. It, it has it more to change? do with being in Missouri where it was unbelievably humid. Yeah. And then going in and outside constantly from like hot to cold, and have, it just messed with my voice. Do you have hot flashes? Do not have hot flashes. Okay, but yeah, I'm not sick. I just my I'm just losing my voice. It's been four days. Oh my heavens! Well, I'm a doctor. I can help. Really? Good. Come on over. I'll give you. I'll give you vitamin. <laughs> that sounded very said, very shady. Said the creepy uh. doctor. <laughs> hey, um, this Big Twelve thing. What do you think? I mean, wait, wait, wait it, a minute. what are you talking about? Huh? You've got. It seems more real this time than ever before. Oh yeah. But I don't want to believe it because every time I go there, I get sad. 
<laughs> you don't want to go to the Sorry, happy place. Eeyore. <laughs> Isn't it funny, though, how just talking about it all the time, I mean, you get excited and the possibility, but ever since last Tuesday when the Big 12 said, yes, we're moving forward with expansion, like it has, it has gone to another level mm-hmm. of excitement. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but can you trust it? You know what I mean? It's like Pikachu. Is he really going to be gonna there? I'm not going to get this, no matter what you say. Okay. Uh, what, what, what do you think, Jerem? Um, should I buy in? Should I go get my Big 12 gear yet? Oh, wait. No, wait until the invite. I, I believe that BYU will be invited, as does Jason, as does uh, Spender Linton. Who? Uh, who's on vacay all week. Oh, we wish is he? A wonderful week. Yes. yes. Lucky. He, des- he deserves it. Did he go to Vegas again, outside of Vegas, to sweat, get his uh, teeth done? None of our business, okay. I think. Um, okay. But yeah, he he's actually on a plane asleep right now. His brother just tweeted at me a picture of Spencer sleeping <laughs> on a plane. So That's great. Little, so he's, little Spendy's getting a little nap. He's not going to uh, Philadelphia for the convention, is he? Uh, I don't think, no. Gonna, I'm going to no. go out on a limb and say he is not going no, there. no. <laughs> But uh, regarding <laughs> reeling them back in, uh, regarding the Big Twelve, yeah, yeah th- this is an exciting time because I I believe that this is the most important sports story in BYU athletics history. Wow, really? Because it will affect uh, BYU in, an, in in a tremendous way. Either way, we were talking about best worst case scenario uh, today. If BYU is invited to the Big Twelve, full member, uh, gets money right away, that's the best situation full money right away right they'll probably if BYU gets invited they'll probably have to take you know quarter half three quarters full over several years something like that has kind of been the norm worst case scenario uh, the big 12 expands and doesn't invite BYU that would be the worst bad it's probably going to be something in the middle of that so okay I think I got that one figured out but I'm I'm like you I uh, I'm excited but I am waiting to fully embrace Mm -hmm. uh, the excitement until uh, something official happens the only official thing right now is uh, the Big 12 ex- is exploring expansion of two to four teams. Yeah, yeah. But two to answer four, your question, like. don't you don't want to you don't want to get so far down the road that you're like buying Big 12 stuff, right? No, because you don't want to jinx it. No, exactly. Also, don't buy Big 12. No, no, stuff. no, 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 no. Not until There's we're a in. certain right. school that we all make fun of for doing that. So just don't do it. Real? Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. The, the I, other I school name in this school. state. Listen. The other ah, oh, yeah. School in this if yeah. BYU's invited to the Big 12, yes. there will be stickers of the Big 12. The, here's it'll, the thing. It'll happen. It'll but, happen. But here, I, I honestly believe that most people, if they put up a bumper sticker on their car with the Big 12, that most of it is simply to make fun of Utah for constantly having Pac-12 stickers everywhere. <laughs> That's I, true. I was at Texas A&M last year, and in the bookstore there, I said, do you have any SEC stickers? Stickers like SEC specific, they're like content, no. and they're like, no, 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 it's all Texas A&M. Yeah, it's That's about it. Texas A&M. Thank you. That's all I needed to know. <laughs> Next, <laughs> hey, what's uh, what else are you talking about on your show though? I mean, you, what else is there to talk about? I don't no, know. No, we'll have Matt Brown of SB Nation. He'll weigh in Sweet. on the latest in uh, Big Twelve conversation. Blaine Fowler will join us as well. We'll tell you what Cougars are headed to uh, training camp as well in mm. the NFL. Cool. This is going to be this is going to be a fun day for Twitter. Uh, because we, we've thrown out our Twitter question, and, it, and a lot of it has to do with a football-only membership. If that's an option, how would Cougar fans feel? We've got some great responses, so we're going to be hitting uh, the, the Twitter question hard today as well. And is Sunday play that big a deal? That when, when people talk about BYU and the con, the major con, it's not even geography. Sunday play, point. yeah. It's Sunday play. So we're going to tell you some of the numbers with some of the more notable sports 
and how uh, that factors in. Also, Barry Trammell of the Oklahoman, uh, he was on a couple weeks ago. His comments uh, on Sunday play, are they a big deal or not? And then uh, I, I, we've got some analogies that we think will be uh, pretty poignant mm. or uh, metaphors on the situation. So, Of course you do. Is Sunday play a big deal to a BYU fan? No, but we're trying to explain this to the neutral observers from the Big 12. Right, the rest of the world. Yes. Okay, because well, the world is our campus. The world the is our campus. Near campus. <laughs> on campus. You guys, again, you are my world. Wow. And I just wanted to get that out there. And have a good show. At least we, Thank you. Just, yeah. at least we know where Matt stands. That yeah. makes me feel so much better about myself. I, I totally. And Jason, I hope you make it through the change. <laughs> Thank you so the much. The change. Yeah. That's cool. So welcome. Different ways you could go with that. Just welcome aboard. <laughs> We're so proud of you. Thank you. Uh, that's it, guys. Have a great show. Knock them dead. Peace. Peace out, yo. It's pretty hip. Uh, if we had more time, but they've got to go wax on, wax off, get their. They got to get ready. I didn't realize, you know, like taking this show to TV, man. I'd, <laughs> I'd just have to have an hour of body prep, <laughs> right? We'd have to, like, get my abs on, paint those babies on, waxing. It's a lot of work. So if you were to have a TV show, would you go at it shirtless? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, well, do we want ratings or not? (laughs) Well, I'm just trying to gauge what kind of show this would be. It'd be the same show, but shirtless. without a shirt. Okay. But because you have TV there, you'd want to – I mean, you'd want them to – yeah. You want to give it your all. So I'd. Hey, throw it deep, sell it cheap. That's it. That's absolutely it. If I had more time with him, I would have asked him about uh, the Coach K's worries about the China game against the United States. Kevin Durant, China. Coach K was worried that the ball is going to really be hard for these pros to adjust to because it's a little stickier. It's the ball they play with in Europe, it's a stickier ball. Yeah, it really held them back. 106 to 57. Makes you wonder what they would have played like with their own ball from the pros. I have a feeling they're going to be all right. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. They still didn't ask me to play, which I found weird. I spent the entire weekend, uh, well, three days, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning with my beautiful grandbaby. I was a dad. I got to be dad. It's so cute. I'm telling you. I, and it made me want more kids that I could just hand off to people around me. Like if I could have kids but have my kids raise my kids. Rent a kid. It'd be fantastic. Then it's like bring the kid over. I want to talk. To, I want to see the kid. And then you play with the kid and then you hand the kid back. And then my wife reminded me that that's grandparenting. And I'm full circle. Boom. Chaos. You just need more of your kids to have children. Yeah, we're going to wait. Yeah, we're, We want them to do it at the right time. Oh. Our 11-year-old couldn't handle a kid right now. <laughs> it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Hey, uh, here's an interesting um, new – everyone's getting so creative because you got to be because everything – everything's got to be different or people get bored. Following three weeks of a few showings and little activity, real estate agent in the Houston area opted for a unique approach to selling a home. 
Jessica Arnett, who co-owns Villa Real Estate with her husband Ryan, says that her clients were concerned that their home would become a stale listing, so they suggested a quirky sales tactic. She would pose as a panda in a panda costume throughout the house for the listing photos in hopes of drawing attention to the home. She said, I take real estate seriously, but we had a home listed for three weeks and had only two showings, she explains. My seller said, I heard of a guy in Canada that does this, and so she tried it, and bada-boom, bada-bing, the house sold within a day. So I've got an idea. Benjamin. Yes. I want you to dress up in a little Caesars costume. So and I want you to stand at the corner and direct people to our show. So I think we should put together a focus group, right? Pizza, to see pizza. what the best mascot character would be. Let's ask the question. Yeah. So let's ask the question. What mascot should we put outfit, should we put Ben in and send him all over BYU's campus to draw people to listen to the show? We could send him all over the state, quite honestly. It's 100 degrees. And put Ben – I'd like to see him in something really thick, like a big lion costume with a big mane and a big – ah, oh, that would be great. Is this for the good of the traffic we're bringing to the show uh-huh. or is this for your own entertainment? So we're going to listen we're – we're going to do – we're going to have a survey. We'll come up with five ideas and put it on the survey. You can go to our Twitter page and f- you can choose the mascot, the animal character that Ben will dress up like and run around the campus until dehydration. And you can tweet at us. Tweet at us, at Dr. Matt Show. And we will put more suggestions up if you tweet at us. See? Oh, that's so good. Okay. Tweet at us. That sounds so inappropriate to say it that way. Tweet at us. Thanks, Sadie. I've got uh, Hero of the Day. Listen to this. The Hero of the Day is uh, Oakland resident Deshaun Holcomb. Uh, Oakland man is being called a hero after rescuing a disabled woman from a burning home. An Oakland neighborhood was celebrating the 4th of July fireworks shot a... Uh, shot across the street and set a tree and then a building on fire. Deshaun Holcomb rushing into the blaze after he learned that there were still people inside the building. With flames in the front of the house, Holcomb and another man who rushed in were forced to use the side exit to get everyone out to safety. Holcomb returned to the home by daylight where he met Dorothy Oaks. Her daughter, Dana, has multiple sclerosis and couldn't leave. I wasn't going to leave without her, Holcomb said, so we would have been trapped in there. They came in, they picked her up, and they were concerned if there were anyone else in the home. They were just wonderful, said Oaks. Holcomb said she was lucky. Uh, He was lucky because he was in the right place at the right time and hopes that others would rush in and do the same when he called. He said, I got four young children, so for them seeing this, seeing something other than the other stuff that goes on around his neighborhood, he says, like, man, like, hopefully that will stick with them for a lifetime. So, Oakland resident Deshaun Holcomb, you are the hero of the day. Willing to give it all to go save uh, people in need. That's what we need in this world, folks. That's what we need in the country. And that is the, that's the good that's in every one of us. Make it a great one. We'll be back again tomorrow. More information, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger. Until tomorrow, make it a great one. And we'll talk again tomorrow.